Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Queer Quadrant, a podcast where we, two bisexual filmmakers, examine cinema in all its cultural contexts and explore why your favorite four-quadrant blockbuster is maybe not as straight as you think it is. There's, you know, like three hours of this movie. But a lot of movie. I want to say the thing that sent me into an existential crisis the most was the... Okay. My life amounts to no more than uh, one drop in a limitless ocean. You know, that line that mm-hmm. everyone knows. But obviously there's the second half where it's like, yet yeah, what is any ocean but a multitude of drops? But that first part where it's just I'm one drop <laughs> in an ocean, I was like, wow, I, I think I am one drop in an ocean. But you are part of the collective human whole, the collective the human experience. The one drop experience. that creates a wave that changes forever. <laughs> Do people mostly remember the first half of that line? I always just, like, the second half it's is the, the part I've always remembered. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Right. But for me, it's the first half just because I like to send myself into, you yeah. know, depressive existential crisis. There's nothing mo- so. more prototypical, Jordan, than taking a very nice, inspiring line and just turning it into something mm-hmm. to keep you up at night. Yes. I really can't think of a better way to introduce you. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Hi. Hello. I'm Brooke Solomon. Jordan Gustafson. And joining us today is the absolutely wonderful Emily Vanderwerf, critic at large at Vox and co-creator of the Arden Podcast. Emily, it is such an honor to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. It's uh, I, it's wonderful. While we were talking, somebody, I have a Twitter account for my cat and somebody DM my cat asking for nudes. Oh <laughs> so- my God. I like, mean, I could send them nudes of my cat. My cat doesn't come I mean, close. So the yeah. thing that's true. It's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. What's the line between send pet pics and send pet nudes? Like, is it about is the, the tasteful <laughs> the arrangement? Yeah. Of a, yeah. Get some yeah. nice mood lighting. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe a nice background. They could be tasteful. Oh yeah. yeah. Like a little um. hat on it. I'm sure that honestly, that kind of energy fits into like the Jim Broadbent section of this movie. Like you could see like his character publishing a book about it or something, you know? Surprisingly, yeah. he doesn't have a cat. He seems like he has big, big cat energy. Oh, absolutely. Well, Ben Wishaw. Of, if we're ranking cat energy of people in this movie, Ben Wishaw, I feel like is the cat, like number one guy. He's good. I love, I love, love someone with cat energy it feels like a kindred spirit yes uh so what movie are we talking about (laughs) if you haven't guessed today we are talking about the 2012 epic cloud atlas we are chugging right along through our month covering some of the select films of lillian lana wachowski sort of in preparation for the matrix resurrections which if you're listening to this is already out and hopefully has dominated the world i don't (laughs) know um but mostly because we love them as filmmakers and we are very excited to be talking about them at large exactly this movie specifically, I feel like, is the one... Like, obviously, The Matrix, you know, it's a seminal film. Bound course, is great. I feel like this is the movie I'm kind of most excited to talk about because I don't want to say it's my favorite of theirs, but I think it's, like, the most interesting. And it has a lot of, like, ideas and themes and sort of its, like, outlook on humanity. I feel like I love a lot. Like, it's very humanist look at us as people, I which agree. I love. And, I mean, them in general as filmmakers, as we've talked about briefly are very humanist, but this is, I oh, feel yes. like, the most encapsulation of that. I think this is going to be a great episode to sort of dig into, like, the themes that come up over and over again in their movies. And, Emily, when we inquired about what you might like to come cover, you described this movie, I think, very aptly as the best movie ever made, except when it's the worst movie ever made. Yeah. Um which I <laughs> feel like is a very accurate description. <laughs> I also have, you know, a soft spot for this movie. And Emily, I think you do 
as well. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies ever made. Like it, yeah. It it has stuff in it that, you know, if I'm going to recommend this to a person, I have to be like, here's a caveat: the size of Texas. But <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's this this movie so fucking wild and great and good and um, has so much stuff in it that I think. And I loved the book. I loved the book too. So I was all ready to be in on this. And like, I, I had kind of an interesting experience seeing this film, which we can probably dig into, but um, I would love yeah. to hear about it. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a brilliant movie and I think there's a lot of, a lot to recommend in it. Um, so yes, cloud Atlas. I think when I made, I'm going to look up my list of the best films of the 2010s. I think it's in my top five. Hold on. Please keep talking while I look. this. I up. would oh, love yes. to see if it was, I mean, like, I completely agree. I recommend this movie all the time to people while also recommending, as we've litigated (laughs) many a time on the podcast, the trailer, the six minute trailer is maybe one of my favorite pieces of uh, marketing ever created for movies. Uh, Nothing hits harder than this score and then Mm -hmm. going into M83 outro. I mean... It's the way to, like, for me in 2012, it's like, what are all of your interests and how can we have them all diverge at one place? I'm glad that you were a fan of this from, like, the get-go. I was, yes. Because, as I'm sure we will talk about, this movie was not well-received at the time. Um, And I think that it's really interesting to think about the six-minute trailer because I feel like that aspect of the marketing strategy is just, like, such a great microcosm for, like, what the Wachowskis were doing with this movie where it was like, well technically we can't actually release this trailer because it's too long for the right, MPAA, literally. but we'll just release it online. Kind yes. of similar to, we'll just independently raise a hundred, $150 million. Yeah, a German co-production. It's fine. Just, yeah. this is the most, one of the most, if not the most expensive. It's just an indie. It's indie, indie movie ever made. Um, what was it's your crazy. relationship with it? When did you first see it or when did you? Well, when did you fly into the clouds, rather? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go first and make it quick. I think that I watched this movie for the first time in college. I don't remember what inspired me to watch it, but I remember sort of being middling on it. I definitely didn't hate it. I was like, that was interesting. Mm. Um, I'm going to move on. And then I feel like in the past... Did you walk away being like, Georgie's my guy? <laughs> I actually really forgot about him until yes. we started watching this, but I remember like adoring the Ben Wishaw storyline and like really loving like the neo soul storyline despite some of the weirder elements <laughs> yeah. um and i feel like when i when i reevaluated it both for the show and mm-hmm. just sort of like as i've become much more familiar with like the Wachowski's work and like i'm so obsessed with sense eight which i'm sure we'll touch on um i've grown to like really love it mm. um but you know i'm i'm a normie i wasn't totally on the train at the beginning but i've grown as a person my taste That's has important. improved and i really do i really do like it yeah, like it's, i mean yeah it, you it should, makes makes my heart feel very full i would kick you off that like bridge in new soul Thanks. and take over the podcast if you didn't so did you see this in theaters no i did not <laughs> i, I know, know. i know i'm a fake fan like in but high school you could I, have gone. yeah i know so i watched it whatever it came out whenever it was out on dvd okay. rented it watched it by myself had the time of my life the experience i mean that's pretty much it i go <laughs> I back to it. this movie all the time i will watch the trailer at least once a month i know you love this so trailer. yeah I don't know. I'm so I'm so in the bag for this movie. The way that it plays with genre, the way that it like tells so many. Because I mean, you know me. Like I love when a movie like has so many specific things that it's trying to say, and the way that this weaves in different genres and different styles of storytelling, all within like 
this opus of one overarching narrative, I think is super interesting. Yeah. And I haven't read the book though, Emily, which I'm super curious how like the book compares to this um, because I've definitely been meaning to because I know the structure is different because the book's more like a... It's six stories basically right. instead of intertwined. Yeah, yeah. the book is... Um... The book is a nested novel. It's a nesting doll. And like uh, when, uh, you know, they were talking about adapting this novel and it was just one of those things where folks were like, well, how do you ever adapt that? And not just like maybe it needs to be a TV series. And their solution to just totally break down the structure of the book works. And that's why they're able to adapt less of the book than you'd expect them to. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I looked this up. It was my sixth favorite movie of the 2010s. Ooh, um, wow. right just outside. outside. I forgot. I forgot a couple movies I really loved, and that might have been up there. But I no, I think it would have come in ahead of Mustang and Short Term Twelve. Um, but Both yeah. great movies. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually just ahead of acclaimed uh, queer classic Carol. So oh. uh, hey, yeah. that's my number seven. So nothing but taste. Ben Wishaw taking taking the the crown there from Cape Blanchett. Um, yeah. but y- yeah. So you, I yeah, mean, so Emily, you were all you were already ready for this movie. Were you so excited when it came out? I, I was. <laughs> I was excited to see it, and it was going to be my second time seeing it because I saw this movie for the very first time at a test screening. What? Whoa! Which. It was one of the few test screenings I've ever been to. I was so hyped for this movie because I love the book that much. And a friend got me into Mm. it. And there is this legendary test screening that, like, if you go back and read contemporary press coverage of the movie, where Warner Brothers is like, wait, this movie could be an Oscar player. Mm. Like, this movie could be, like, a big hit for us and an Oscar player and all these things. And I was at that test screening. It was, oh it was wow. the one that was that I was at. And I, I'm sure a couple things changed. There's one thing I'm almost certain changed that we'll talk about in a bit. But um, for the most part, like the movie was in place. It was all set. Like it was it was pretty clearly a screening that they had set just to see if like people could understand what was happening in this movie. Mm. Yeah. And I saw Lana Wachowski. Uh, just standing around after the movie. Oh my god! And yeah, I don't know. Uh, that test screening it went over like gangbusters. Everybody in that theater loved that movie. And Warner Brothers was like, "This is going to be one of our one of our big players this year." And then it comes out, and they don't know how to sell it. They do the trailer, and nobody mm-hmm. knows what it is, and it just immediately flops. And that's that. That's the end of Cloud Atlas. And so then I didn't see it in theaters because I'd seen the test screening. And I was like, I really have to take my wife to this. Um, Mm. And she was like, yeah, okay, we can. She was not excited at all. She (laughs) was like, this sounds sounds so lame. And I was like, we got to go. And she's like, okay. And then the movie came and went from theaters. Yeah. Um, then I saw I, I've seen I've seen it again on DVD and I most I, I most recently watched it um, a while with some friends a while back um, in one of the aforementioned screenings where people were like, this movie is great. Here's a huge grain of salt for all of you who are not white people. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's, what? By the way, was, the five movies I have ahead of um, yeah, we got Cloud Atlas. Honestly, I agree with all of these. I would not bump mm-hmm. a single one of them below it margaret yeah. yes. movie. Uh, the master paul thomas anderson of course um, gone girl yes and sure 
Uh, oh. por- <laughs> Portrait of a Lady on Fire by Celine Shama and um, 20th Century Women by Mike Mills. So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Emily, that's the Emily, the Emily cut. We love to see 20th Century Women taking the crown. Oh, that's a l- masterpiece. Amazing. I, it's so great that you can go back and reference these in like a published sense because Jordan and I being the losers <laughs> that we are list. had like a nice little two person yes. wine night where we were like, okay, we're it's going time to decade. give each other our rundown of the decade's best films. Um, and we thought we were so yeah. cultured. Oh, yeah. That's a great list, though. It's very... I love to see Gone Girl so high. I feel like that is a movie that is really so brilliant. And because it was so popular, sometimes it gets a little bit of a... Well, mm-hmm. I mean, it's good, but but yeah. I, that movie is just I brilliant. think it's. I think it's yeah. I think it's David Fincher's best film. I go back I would, and forth on that. I agree. I go back and forth on that on Zodiac. On that mm. and Zodiac. But like it's one of those two, and I, I generally come down the side of Gone Girl. Like, Social Network's great. Like it, but... But... Gone Girl's just so it's such a such a good movie about about the cis hats. <laughs> yeah. Literally. The best Ben Straight like, violence. Den, uh David Fincher really understanding how to use Ben Affleck in all ways, shapes, or forms. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. Jordan and I are both New England. Yeah, we're natives. very in the bag. Well, I yeah. yeah you were in the bag for we. Ben, unfortunately. <laughs> You're in the bag. I'm in the bag for Ben. Uh, I I have a question on the test screening. How completed were the VFX? Were they like totally done or were any in like as I recall, as I recall, they were like probably 98% done. I think there were a couple shots where it was maybe like this was a this was a screening to be like Warner Brothers had picked up U.S. distribution and they had not really paid that much money for it. So they were like, well, let's do a test screening, see how it plays and see how much we're going to push it. Right. Because we don't have an Oscar player this year. So maybe this will be our Oscar movie. Um, And like, I don't want to say it was a grave miscalculation because they really didn't sink a lot of money into it, but it it was a miscalculation. (laughs) Right. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, I just think that audiences and their marketing department, like we're just so not in sync with what this movie necessarily is. It's like, granted, as the Wachowskis then put out the six-minute trailer, it's a hard movie to kind of sell because it has a lot going on. Like, do you just lean into, like, two of the stories? Do you lean into, like, the star power of Hanks? You know, it's like, how do you kind of, like, wrap your hands around what the movie is and, like, what it's trying to say for, you know, all four quadrants? Ooh, (laughs) it's true. And it's, like, because this movie was so, like, insanely expensive, it did have to serve that, like, blockbuster Mm -hmm. audience, the four quadrant audience. Yeah, Yeah, because it's just, I mean, it's so sprawling. And I feel like the Wachowskis reutilized this, like, very similar style of filming on Sense8, where it's, like, they're flying around the world, they're working with, like, totally different crews and, like, just putting all these pieces together as they're filming, which Mm. quickly gets, like, very expensive very quickly. So this movie kind of needed to, like, hit a lot of, of eyeballs that it didn't end up hitting but that's okay it's 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 a beloved movie to a very large sector of people and i think like will stay very relevant for many years because it is just like such a lovely universally thematic movie yeah that's i mean i just think it's emblematic of like their careers like it's very like while the matrix is so cool and i feel like they get hit a lot early on in their careers for being like super cool and like making these sort of mask movies like where people (laughs) interpreting these movies as hyper mask and you know what i mean like certain audiences like kind of like grappling onto that part yeah but this movie is like so earnest and is so uh, i don't know like the best (laughs) but it's like it's kind of like nerdy and it like is like kind of like it's not like a loser thing but like 
it's like very heartfelt and earnest. And I feel like yes. it's very easy to sort of knock movies like that when they're so sincere. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's like a genuine sincerity to this movie that comes across not, it doesn't make you feel icky while watching it. It's just, it just is so lovely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was the thing. That's the reason I think people felt so, it took people so long to get on board with the Wachowskis. They felt like the matrix was like the ultimate cynical cool movie that was about how the world is bullshit and yeah it is that but also like it's a movie about where true love wins like right yeah (laughs) exactly and the the rest of the trilogy goes even further in those regards and then speed racer Mm -hmm. is basically about what if you had a family wouldn't that be great right literally (laughs) cloud atlas is such a staggering work of cinematic ambition and then also like just kind of a movie about like gosh it's really great that we're all humans and maybe we should try to like save each other and not destroy the planet and people were like that message is for losers so um (laughs) i uh, the thing i always love about this movie is if you are like hey tom hanks list your five favorite movies that you've made this is always on there. Whether you're mm-hmm. asking him what's like the best experiences you've had filming something or, you know, what's the movie uh, you love most that you've made. He just had a blast. And that's a thing I find a lot when people are talking about Wachowski movies. They always are like, that was one of my favorite experiences ever making a movie. It was a wonderful set, blah, blah, blah. And like that goes just across the board, whether they mm-hmm. were making a huge hit or a huge flop. Yeah. Um the speed racer people were so bummed that they couldn't make like 16 more speed racer movies. Um, and of course the Wachowskis work with Susan Sarandon again in this film. Um, but yeah, like part of, you know, Keanu being like, Hey, let's make a matrix Four is Like, it seems like he just really likes hanging out with Lana Wachowski and who wouldn't to be clear. Uh, Lana Wachowski and Carrie Ann Moss. I that mean, just sounds is like there fun. a better duo? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's you're great. so right though, because like I was saying to Brooke literally before we recorded, you sort of go through this cast list, and so many of these people are like recurring company players for mm-hmm. them. I mean, Hugo Weaving, they just mm-hmm. keep bringing them on for everything, and then you even get like Duna Bay comes back for like My Queen. Jupiter Ascending for a beat, and then Sense Eight, and you just have all these people who just kind of carry on with them. So mm-hmm. it's clearly like like a nice set to work on. You get that like Wes Anderson thing where everyone's just like. <laughs> yeah i want to work with these people they're cool Mm -hmm. let's make a movie and that's like so tender to see that they're like not just directors who make really visionary things but they're also just good people which is i think rare i just yeah i just love when you have directors who clearly have large ranging companies of actors they return to again Mm -hmm. because then you can usually be like maybe these people are not perfect they almost certainly are but they're probably not like abusive on set obviously there's stuff that happens behind the scenes and that we don't always know about but on set they probably are professional and and good and you know i i saw um licorice pizza the paul thomas anderson Mm. movie recently and it's got so many of his usual people in there in little bit parts and it's just like oh of course these people love working with him because now you know he when he was dating fiona apple and um uh having drug addiction problems he seems like he did some pretty terrible things but yeah. now he's just like a chill dad yes huge <laughs> like wife big like wait wife energy coming wife from him. Energy. Yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> well he's just like you know i'm married to maya rudolph she seems pretty cool don't you think and you're like yes paul thomas Anderson, yes she yeah. does. Her life is cool <laughs> We are sitting in high anticipation yeah. of like our that we're seeing it tomorrow, tomorrow huh? as of this recording. 
very excited. Um, uh, it's so it's it's I am will be very surprised if it's not my number one of the year. It's so good. Oh, I'm so boy. excited. I'm okay. a massive massive Heim fan, so there's a lot of we reasons love to, to love this movie. Me too. Me yeah. too. Uh, yeah, just yeah. like I mean, when you think about it, Paul Thomas Anderson's finest film is the uh, music video for Summer Girl by Heim. Thank it's you. Brilliant, beautiful yes. filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah, it's always great seeing the high music videos when, and you just like go drive through Echo Park, or whatever, and you're like, oh, I feel like I'm in a high music video. It's Paul <laughs> Thomas Anderson directing me. They're from the valley, you know. They're 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 in the, the, the trenches. Yeah. yeah. There was a point you made though, Emily, that I feel like is super interesting with Tom Hanks specifically, and that like he really had a good time with this movie, and it's one of the favorites that he goes back to. And I think it's fascinating looking at like his career at large, especially with this movie, because it like stands out. I think in this period of Hanks for what we've been having because so much of Tom Hanks now is sort of I love all of his performances and he's very good at what he does shocker Tom Hanks is a good actor (laughs) but he's you know playing that like the father figure like America's dad and he's sort of so slipped kind of cleanly into that and he's not really playing a character with rough edges sort of like League of Their Own or like earlier in his career and I feel like this one kind of gives him the range to kind of throw everything at the table that makes him interesting like he can he can be mean he can be like kind at the end like he has that full arc that which is like the wachowski pitch was tom hanks goes from like bad to good but seeing that like lets him have all of these um like a range of performances that i really enjoy yeah this is tom hanks in the years um leading up to cloud atlas i'm starting in 2009 yeah. Um, because that's the year he makes Angels and Demons, the, mm-hmm. the, the Da Vinci Code sequel. Mm-hmm. And then he makes Toy Story 3 in 2010. You know, he's he's rounding out mm-hmm. that series. At the time, everyone thinks that's the end of that series. 2011, <laughs> he's, the, he's the director and screenwriter of Larry Crown. Who could yep. forget? A hit! <laughs> Who could forget? And uh, he's also in Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, a Best Picture nominee, and a much, 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 much worse film than not just Cloud Atlas, but also Larry Crown. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I see that title all the time and I forget that it's a movie. And then you remember like, oh my God, that was a real film that actually came out and got awards attention. And was attention. nominated for Best Picture, like yeah. fully. Yeah. yeah. And then he does Cloud Atlas. And like, what a, what, a, what a great time for Tom yeah. Hanks to be alive. Yeah. It's, it is really exciting because we said how it's very kind of like well known how rarely he plays villains, not like uncomplicated characters, mm. but like villains. And it's so fun to watch him in the 1849 <laughs> section of this oh, movie. With his teeth? He's having a great time. Are, are his teeth best supporting actor in that section for him? Yeah, tied with uh, Hugo Weaving's top hat. Yeah. Um, I thought you were going to say the section in which Tom Hanks plays a London gangster and uh, throws someone off a building. Also, a great bit. I mean, it's a lot. It's it's a lot. Yeah. It's there's a lot happening. That section <laughs> is so enjoyable, honestly, because like the the music they have going, you have just Jim Broadbent. Pl- of all, okay, sorry. Of all the characters, does he just not really change? Because you kind of get range for everybody, but Broadbent kind of just plays Broadbent for everything. Well, he plays Ish. different variations of crotchety. He's like evil crotchety. I like Sailor loving Broadbent. crotchety. Uh, upsetting crotchety, yeah. homophobic crotchety, <laughs> plumber to the face crotchety. <laughs> Sometimes it's lovable. Plunger, sorry. Oh my um, God, not plumber. Should we give like a very, very brief sort of like six sentence logline overview of all the different sections? Sections. Just Actually, so. 
I, my wife just brought me dinner and this is a great time for me to eat it because this is going to take you like 30 minutes. So <laughs> go we will it. try to keep it brief, but also feel free to eat to your yeah. heart's desire. I'm eating a, I'm eating a, a, a Howlin' Ray's chicken sandwich. Oh my Howlin' Ray's here in Los Angeles. Nice, medium, oh, medium so spicy. Good. I've been on the on the run all day today. I hate to eat on mic, so I'm going to stay away from the mic. But if you, any of you, if either of you say anything wrong, I'm going to just jump in with my mouth full of food. So there we go. I love it. That's I love well, we'll we'll be on the edge of our seats. We also support Helen Ray's on this podcast, a great restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, great restaurant. It's so good. Um, okay, so Brooke, just so people know, there are six stories in this, and for each story, there's six leads yep. essentially, mm-hmm. uh, with your six, I guess, lead actors all having their own respective, you know, one Section? in which they lead. Yes. yes, but like they pop up throughout, wearing sometimes different costumes, sometimes you know different gender I, sometimes yes different, different race, race. <laughs> let's we'll just say it um i highly recommend looking up like cloud atlas cast and mm. trying to find basically like the who's little who? tic-tac-toe board of everybody yes it's like a game of it's literally like a game of who's who yes. um because it's really exciting and i love that the end credits of this movie show, show everyone all of them. in it's their the costumes because yes. like some of them are obviously like completely unrecognizable um <laughs> but yes here are the six sections going to make this as succinct as possible because then we can just talk with abandon we don't mm. need to, to worry about it too much lay out the sextet for us um okay so the first section takes place in the pacific islands in 1849 yes. and also each section is centered around a different form of oppression mm-hmm. and like overcoming oppression and prejudice it all ties together very Love nicely to yes. some very nice global quotes around that so the first section pacific islands 1849 uh the lovely jim sturgis who uh-huh. i feel bad that i can never recognize in anything yep that's uh, one <laughs> oh, of my really? notes was i uh, can never really tell which one's jim sturgis um i feel bad it's not his fault not a bad actor i just think not at all kind of blends in has a face that i cannot remember for the life of me um but he basically follows a man who discovers that he should become an abolitionist based Mm -hmm. on his relationship with a self-freed slave and as you can probably guess the oppression in that story is racism yes super fun tom hanks tries to poison him yep yeah. And Tom Hanks is a bad, a yep. bad doctor. Yes. Trying to hoodwink him on this voyage across back to America. Mm-hmm. Um, Britain. Britain. Yes. Are they not in America? No, I think they're good. They are. Then they're going back. And then they're to, going back. Yes. Great. Yes. Fun. I feel like, yeah, that's, I feel like that's this story. That's that story. I think the biggest thing that this movie gets knocked with, honestly, is that people think it's very confusing because it's intercutting everything. It's really but not. Honestly, very straightforward, small stories. And just because they're cutting back and forth, it can quote-unquote get confusing but if you're just watching it it's very easy to follow you have to be a little focused yeah, yeah. but you know we're not going to go into too minute detail because that's what the rest of the episode was right. for um okay story number two yes. cambridge and edinburgh 1936 mm-hmm. follows the wonderful ben wishaw so good at this. my fucking boy as robert frobisher best mm-hmm. name ever a closeted composer who yes. is either gay or bisexual depending on For what us to blog discuss. you ask yes um but he is queer mm-hmm. and he is composing the most beautiful piece of music ever heard yes uh except there's this crotchy old composer played by jim broadbent standing in his way i'm going uh, to steal your music yeah uh and also james darcy's in that section yes yes and, and uh, the love. two of them are in love and, and it's beautiful and happy. i think it might be my favorite section i think it's my favorite section too even though it's me- sad it's i mean yeah and we could talk about i think also i think this well obviously this is the section that has obviously the most overt queer themes to it um the oppression in the section is homophobia yes if you haven't guessed um and it ends with a suicide which i think 
also has drawn a lot of commentary from the queer community of like whether or not like another queer story ending with the lead killing themselves. So there's a lot we'll to talk I think, about it. unpack there. But yeah, no, I think that oh this section. God. Oh my God. <laughs> I, right? I oh know. my God. This sandwich is really good, but also, <laughs> oh my God. That's actually what Emily's weighing in on. Um, yes. But I think yeah, it, it should it also be noted at all. that in him writing one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever did result in one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever yeah. uh, by the director. It's very impressive because <laughs> yes. like I'm Tom Tiger's just like, I'm just going to like do this. Don't worry. I got it. Like not only does, does this piece of music have to be like great in a, yes. in a moving way. It has to really be like the greatest piece of music ever written. Yes. That transcends time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. We'll talk cool. about it more. Yes. Okay. San Francisco. 1973. A Louisa May Ray mystery. I love Louise Ray and her mysteries. She's played by Halle, Halle Berry. Berry. This yes. is this impression of the section is a little bit about sexism because mm-hmm. Hugh Grant's like lady journalists. What's <laughs> next? Yes. <laughs> um, but also about sort of like corporate and yes. like large scale company uh, like cover ups uh, and things. Yes, corruption. Uh, I think it's it great. does feature my favorite scene in the movie. Which Maybe one? the one in which her and Tom Hanks talk overlooking outside oh, that's it's so nice beautiful scene. between the two of them yeah. yeah it's cool to see Halle Berry act like that yeah, yeah she's or I mean great. the elevator scene rules too but anyways yes that's that section yes and you know it's it's fun it's noir mm-hmm. Keith it's David looking great in a leather jacket yes no one wears a 70s leather jacket like Keith David hunk love that man yes section number four modern day quote-unquote modern day london at the time 2012 yes. uh featuring jim <laughs> Bent as yes. timothy cavendish mm-hmm. uh this one is a little bit more genre skewing i feel like this is the first one yes. you're like ooh, there's a little something fancy going on here because even though the the 73 section yeah. is like a, a noir e it's still pretty like of accessible yes. yeah like there's no voiceover or anything. this is just heightened I mean, it's basically it's like laying the groundwork for like a movie adaptation that you see in the next sequence yeah which is just like a part of the handshakes that these movies all sort of lay out to each other well we will definitely be talking about the handshakes yes i love them and i live for that like little like detective like, situation that you have to do yes. and looking for the birthmarks and stuff mm-hmm. it's great um Jim Broadbent is locked up in a nursing home against yes. his will due to a series of crazy events <laughs> um, and has to escape. And you yep. know what? It's great. <laughs> and I would watch the it's movie adaptation. Phenomenal. Yes, I would watch the Tom full Hanks. feature film. Yeah. All right. Section Next number section. five. Neo Soul. Uh-huh. 2144. Mm-hmm. Starring my fucking girl, Duna Bay. As great. A clone. Yes. Who rebels mm-hmm. against, oh, we should say the oppression in London 2012 is ageism. Um, be nice. nice to Jim Broadbent, okay? <laughs> He's uh-huh. a national treasure. Um, the neo-soul oppression is sort of about like class and autonomy mm-hmm. and like revolution at large um, and contains a lot of yellow face mm-hmm. by white actors yes uh, so the grain of salt that we were talking about it's this section it's pretty big um we'll get into it a little more mm-hmm. but there you go elephant in the room i love Duna bay so much though and she's incredible in this section uh and in everything Sense8 that she does fame, correct yes. yes i assume that the sensei role like had to be written for her mm. considering that she's in jupiter ascending too right like they were like we will write a role to we'll your bring specifications it back, yeah. and you know what sunbok is like the fucking best character <laughs> I love Sense8. I'm yes. so terrible at being objective about Sense8 because I like I feel like feel I need to so watch deeply. it just so I can talk about it. Have you never seen any no. of it? Anyways. Well. So that's well. Neo Soul. Yep. She falls in love and they escape. 
plants the seed cause to revolution. cause a revolution that fails. She also dies at the end. Yes. But her stories live on. Exactly. And, and to the final section. This takes place on the big island of Hawaii, quote unquote, after 106 winters after the fall. It says on Wikipedia that it's technically 2321. So do with that what you will. Starring Tom Hanks. Yes, oh my God, so our back. best friend. Mm-hmm. He's in all of these. But um, he's the main character. He plays a dude, a blue collar so to speak survivor (laughs) survivor and this is about not just class but sort of like technology oppression and like fear of the other and Mm. the future it's like also like i feel like this is the very moral one where you have um can you be a good person yeah, yeah like hugo weaving basically or no sorry Yes, Hugo Weaving basically like being over his shoulder as uh, old Georgie, the most deranged. Is it demon? Is it the devil? Is it inside his head? Is it real or not? I don't know. It's old Georgie. It's old. Haven't you it's met just who it old is. Georgie? We I all haven't. have old Georgie. I mean, it's probably who I see in my sleep paralysis, <laughs> but. Um, love old Georgie. Yes. Absolutely wild. Deranged performance. Thing to introduce yes. in this extremely movie complicated movie. that is already movie. introducing a lot of things. Yeah. Yes. Um, but like, I actually, yeah. A lot of people don't like the Wachowskis and that's, that's an incorrect opinion, but mm-hmm. I, I see things like old Georgie and I'm like, I get it, but also, come on. It's great. <laughs> right. It's like, so good. Just yes. go with it. And it's How can like, you not like it? If, even if you don't like it, you have to respect it. Yes. That's that's like, to me, that's the factor is that sometimes people do things and you're like, all right, you know what? That was a little hacky. I can understand that. But like, there is not a swing that the Wachowskis haven't taken. You're like, damn, that is like a such choice. a yeah. choice. Yeah. That's why they're great. Yes. They're, that's... It's so much more fascinating to watch people make these crazy, crazy choices over and over again. And like for yes. the most part succeed. Right. Um, and then sometimes you get, like we said, very large grains of salt. And that's just what you're getting. <laughs> like I'd rather watch this movie that is actively like making choices and trying to do something different than watch something that feels so corporate and so made by committee. Like they are making so many active choices and trying to like get across their vision and like their feelings about like the way in which we as humans interact together. And I'm sorry if that's not interesting to you, but like, even if it's a bad movie, that will be interesting to me. And I feel like that we as people should be fascinated by that. Yes. So I have a, I have a quick, I have a quick tangent and I promise I'm not trying to beat up on this movie that I'm about to mention because it hasn't even been released yet. But I was reading an interview the other day with Amy Pascal Mm -hmm. about Spider-Man Oh, uh, are you going no far? way home? Oh, no way. Sorry. And it was really interesting to like think about that film, which is being eventized on such a large mm. scale. And like to see this like whole big interview where like basically every question she, she was asked about like thematics or like characters or like what what are we going to see from this mm. movie? Like doing like trying to drama pipe. All of her answers were basically just like, well, we're very excited to see the Spider-Man movie. Mm. We're all very excited to see Spider-Man in a movie mm. and the interviewer would be asking things like how does like P- how is peter parker's journey changed she's like well there are some very important things about peter parker and i think that this movie really shows that like they were all such weird vague non-answers and obviously it's a movie that requires some secrecy because sure. of people that may or may not be in it whatever it does not re- <laughs> yeah no. No. yeah no listen yeah. <laughs> We all know Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Just say it, Amy. Just say it. We're all aware. It's true. Bring back Spider-Gwen. Bring back Spider-Gwen while you're at it. 
we yes. really I would give anything um and but it was so crazy because I was like watching Cloud Atlas and like hearing what like looking at interviews of the Wachowskis talking about this film and like all the like incredible ambitions that it has mm-hmm. that for the most part it like really really rises to and exceeds and executes so beautifully and I was like if every blockbuster had this much on its mind just thematically mm-hmm. taking away like the incredible scope and scale and everything that the they're visuals. doing with like the acting and you know the incredible like transference of performances like it has so many wonderful themes that it's putting forward in such a well-executed way and they're clearly so passionate when they talk about it and I was like it's just want that for everything it just hurts and that I want like our big blockbusters that are supposed to be connecting with the most people possible Mm. to have a message that matches that instead of this this sort of weird like we said, corporate-y, soulless, movies now are so non- much about, like, the answers. idea of nostalgia versus, like, nostalgia. Like, we've passed the point where it's, like, I think about, like, I don't want to, like, harp on movies. Oh, I are you going to talk, gonna talk about, about Ghostbusters? Well, I mean, let's, harp, let's harp on something. <laughs> let's harp think, on something. We all just, know Spider-Man. Yeah. We is, all know Spider-Man. We, he's our friend. We all know Spider-Man. He's our friendly neighborhood. We know that Spider-Man. he is Peter Parker. Please, please harp on a movie. I'm going to eat this pickle. <laughs> well, eat I was it. just thinking about Ghostbusters and how so much about <laughs> yes. that movie is about like the idea of like the products from Ghostbusters and this nostalgia that we have attached to that. And it's so much like it's based completely around like reselling that and repackaging that. Mm-hmm. And that's so much of sort of like the way in which like our society or like a lot of movies now are kind of being marketed to and made for and everything like revolving around IP and for the Wachowskis to consistently make movies that are not IP based. And for the one IP movie to be speed racer, which is ostensibly a piece of material that nobody wanted to touch other than me when I was nine years old. Um, Good for you, Jordan. Growing up watching it as a cartoon show. But, like, that, they, they very rarely touched IP. All of these movies are fresh original ideas. They never repeat themselves with looks. Like, if you look at Jupiter Ascending's, you know, futuristic world or, like, all the spaceships going on, it's completely different than, like, New Soul or anything happening on the big island. They're constantly reinventing themselves in the stories they want to tell. And while their themes, you know, carry forward, like, reincarnation, in a good all way, their religious in a good things. Way. Yeah, yeah, they have things on their mind. But they're constantly, like, trying to do new things, which I think is... I- I yes. want to be clear that this movie is based on intellectual property. Well, sorry, sorry. Yes, book. My bad. But I mean, I'm thinking about like there, yeah, the yeah, remaking yeah. of like movies and there like is there is this weird thing now where, for instance, I saw The Power of the Dog, uh-huh. the Jane Campion movie, amazing, great, good obviously film. good movie to cover on this podcast. Uh, um, yes, <laughs> yeah, but that movie based on a novel but like yeah. that's that's not a novel that's ever been adapted before right i feel like there's a that is a different kind of ip absolutely compared, I, and i know that's what you're saying i just yeah. like this movie is very indebted to its source text in interesting totally. ways so yeah. yeah yeah no i completely yes completely right can i yes oh yes well i was lasso in i think like what is exciting about the Wachowskis IP or non-IP pre-existing material or not pre-existing mm-hmm. material is that they always have like something really exciting and really moving to say. And that's, you know, sort of like what I was gleaming from the No Way Home interview and a variety of other interviews. And like we were saying, recent films as a whole, when it comes to the sort of like repackaging of what did you like and how can we make you mm. feel that again is that it's like, it just doesn't have anything to say. It doesn't have 
like I was like aching in that interview for for someone to just say this is what the movie is about instead mm. of this is a movie that we think people should see mm. like tell me what why this movie is important to you yeah um and the Wachowskis are always so so sometimes maybe too <laughs> honest about what the movies mean to them well, I think yeah. but they also like lend themselves like this movie specifically I think like what's fascinating about it is like everyone's going to get their own takeaway from this movie as well mm-hmm. like you can go into this movie and you can walk away like thinking about queer themes you can go into this movie talk thinking about like reincarnation you can go about like revolution like however it may please you there are so many themes pulsating throughout that whatever your own individual experiences, you're going to have your own personal relationship to this movie, which I think is what makes it also so fascinating. And unlike so many movies that we have today is that because it has so much on its mind and because it's so wildly ambitious, it lends itself to so many people having their own individual experiences, which we rarely, not rarely get, but like it feels so organic and fresh within this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of themes, mm-hmm. let's talk about some of them. Let's... Queer themes, reincarnation, resurrection, yes. Pam from the office meme. It's the same picture. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I think that that is why this movie is like, I think really transcendent when you look at it specifically through a queer lens, Mm -hmm. because like not only is about, is it about like the connection of the human experience, but like there's so many like deeply queer threads. I Mm -hmm. feel like involved in sort of like, you know, an ocean is made up of a million drops. And how queer art transcends time and how art is tied uh, like like art is tied to queerness and how that mm-hmm. transcends throughout the decades and how kind of like this piece of art was created by a queer person and it goes on to be like one of the most influential things of all time cool yes and i think that my favorite quote in the whole movie is when ben wishaw says we can transcend any convention if you only have the idea to do it mm-hmm. and like it's so much about breaking free of like societal oppression yes. but it's also so much about like if you remove the boundaries that society puts on you, which is obviously like a very, very queer sensibility, like you can literally unlock everything. Mm. Um, You can have this sort of connection that like crosses time and space and gender and sexuality and race (laughs) uh, for what it's worth. And like really gain a greater understanding of like humanity and morality as a whole. Um, It, it makes me feel very, Thanks. my heart feel yeah. very full. Yeah. yeah. And I do like what you said about how the fact that it really is this piece of music. That's like a huge part of what's tying this movie together, both in a cinematic way. Cause it's like, you got the score and the score is great. And you hear the score very often. And it's like, that's Ben Wishaw's character. That right. is like the most, uh, sort of like textual queer character. And it's like him writing these letters, you know, to his lover helps these people, whether it be, his lover or like the people who end up reading the letters or, you know, going forward, find like their own confidence to become themselves and to like become who they need to be. And I think that that's sort of an inspiring thing. Like if you look at the queer community of like looking at people who have come before you and what they've gone through and like, how can you sort of like pick up from that or where are you going from, you know, what comes before and how can you find yourself and like seeing people who are, you know, queer inspirations for you and like, how can you, you know, become you from that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that this is one of the things that the book makes very overt Mm. that the movies has in there, but like, it's not, not in the movie, but um, in the book, it's like the, the diary of this, this guy is read by um, 
the Ben Wishaw character mm-hmm. in the 30s. And then the 30s guy, his letters are found by Louisa Ray. Mm. And Louisa Ray's novel, Louisa Ray is the hero of a, a potboiler novel that Timothy Cavendish reads. Right. And then Timothy Cavendish's struggle is turned into a movie that Sonmi watches, which I think is still in. Yeah. Because yeah. Tom yeah. Hanks is in that. Yep. And then, like, Sonmi's, like, story is like this religious parable for the people. And, like, this idea of art enduring, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm going to just like, I, I, I probably should not even start talking about this because I'm going to just talk for 45 minutes and I have more to talk about. I hate, I hate the idea that the only kind of happy ending for a queer story is if someone is alive and like holding somebody's hand. Yep. And I get that the you know the queer person commits suicide or whatever is an overdone thing but there was a lot of complaining about um portrait of lady on fire my my fourth favorite film of the 2010s if you were paying attention (laughs) deserved where it was like well there's just another movie that ends with the the queer couple split up and i just wanted to be like it's the fucking 1700s like right yeah you could you could do a story that is like about how these two people get together but that's not that's not the story this this acclaimed queer woman director wanted to make like mm-hmm. yep i don't know i get it but i'm also like how is it not a happy ending that um this character writes a fucking masterpiece that transcends time and space that like unites people across the centuries how is it tragic because of the circumstances of his death mm-hmm. as opposed to like you know, if he had died without having written that, but had like found yeah. a nice husband, like, right. I, I don't know. I, I understand why people want to see positive representation of queerness on screen, but as someone who, who creates a podcast that is full of queer people being messy yeah, and doing terrible things to each other, I just, I, Mm-hmm. It feels so limiting. I'm going to start talking about the film Happiest Season if we don't cut it out. Oh. So. <laughs> uh, you no, know, I think you're saying something that's really important and that we've touched on before. And it's, I think it's limiting by, as like queer people who create art, it's super limiting to be like, I have to make something that's going to make people feel happy at the end. Like at the end of the day, what we're yearning for is representation. And if your form of representation is just only a happy ending with queer people holding hands all power to you but that's not necessarily like accurate representation for a lot of people or like what we want to see or what we're feeling as artists like the whole point is like you know to make art that you feel and that you need to express and like if it's about showing people being messy it's showing people being messy because guess what fucking people are messy and i think that that's what this movie gets perfectly is like people can be good people can be bad people have these moralistic decisions that we have to make Mm -hmm. and yes because he dies at the end that you could view that as like a tragic ending but like his whole life was built around wanting to get the Cloud Atlas sextet, you know, created. And in order to do that, he had to go through this traumatizing experience of sort of like being locked up and oppressed within this, you know, castle. But by breaking free from it, he's able to get his art out there. And like, I think that's the more enthralling thing that you're walking away from. Like these letters that he writes his lover are so impassioned and are so about like him caring about like wanting to get this piece of art into the world. And he does like that is a fulfilling 
thing. And also, <laughs> just to say it, say queer it. people have killed themselves throughout time. It's not yeah. like a like a new thing that this movie was doing. It's not like a movie trope. Like that's realistic to things that happened. So yeah, I don't know. I mm, yeah, yeah. Look, we talk <laughs> about this very often because like uh, us collectively, and like my favorite queer characters are very difficult and yes. like very complicated. <laughs> um, you're not excused from being a bad person just because you need to represent an entire subset of an oppressed group. Like right. that am. doesn't I am. I am. <laughs> just you. Yeah, you're special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Do you want to see the fucking portrait of a lady on fire ladies get together and be together at the end? Or do you want to see the thing where they have the painting? Goddamn page. And then they go to the opera and she's sitting there and she's slowly like melting down. There's nothing better. Nothing better than some yearning. That's the other thing that I feel like people don't take into account is that I like to feel like I want to die when I'm watching movies. Yes. I I like to to feel the full range Mm -hmm. of human emotion in including pain mm-hmm. because it, sometimes it's cathartic. We're all storytellers here. Yeah. And I wonder if sometimes storytellers are, because we're so used to living in stories and being bathed in them that we're like, well, this is just, everybody thinks everything's bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> like this is how we process all of our emotions. Yeah. And this is a frustrating thing to do. And you have conflict and you have arguments and you have, you know, you are filtering. It becomes your job. And it is your job to tell stories and not everybody likes their job all the time. Even if you have the best job in the world, there are going to be days when you're like, God, I can't believe I'm doing this fucking job. Mm -hmm. So I say this, I like seeing stories that are complicated and dark and weird. And I know there Mm -hmm. are plenty of people who don't work as storytellers who like that, but it feels like disproportionately people who work as storytellers are interested in that theme. And then people who don't are like, I just want to see people be happy. But at the same time, a happy ending sometimes would just like ruin, like a happy ending would ruin Portrait of Lady on Fire. I agree. 100%. Um, yeah. I, you could maybe do a, make a happy ending work in the the, the section, uh, the second section of, of Cloud Atlas, but why? Like, it doesn't fit with the characters and who they are. These French no. fries are really good. <laughs> they <laughs> like look delicious. See, like, James Darcy wouldn't run up the, the stairs and like he embraces him and stops, you know, Robert from killing himself. Like, that would just feel so inorganic to everything that had come before. Like, mm-hmm. it builds to him finding his lover dead. Like, that's the story. And I feel like we as a society now are so... We've talked about this a little bit before, but like people want to be told what they're supposed to be feeling and like what is good and what is wrong and all these things. And this movie lives like gives you so much for your own interpretation of like, what are you going to walk away from feeling as we were talking about like thematically and like all these different things. And like, because it's so ambitious, it's not being like, this is this one thing and you have to like walk away from like thinking this and. And as you mentioned, Ben Winshaw's character, the wonderful Robert Frobisher, yes. completes his arc. Like, there's that 100%. absolutely, I think my favorite scene in the whole movie is the scene of him and James Darcy, like, in the, the China shop, mm. um, throwing all so those plates. Good. And, like, that is, like, so euphoric mm-hmm. and, and such, like, a great representation of, like, he did it. He cracked the thing that he, like, spent his whole life wanting to do. And, like we said, it's, this is a movie about how art, like, echoes through generations and, like, can literally change lives even if it didn't change your life right there's a great article um a gay in the china shop sorry uh 
(laughs) just cracking things left and right. Um, There's a great article about um, this movie from out.com that like talks a lot about how it's, it's very evocative. Ben Wishaw's storyline, very evocative of like queer artists, Mm. like during that kind of time period, you think of like the Emily Dickinson's and Mm. like the Oscar Wilde's who like didn't really get to see their impact during their lifetime, but like how their work is endured and how this like movie gets to show you that while also not sugarcoating like the actual like thirties meaning of the time. Um, It's a great article by Daniel Tarani. Um, Highly recommend it. Um, And it's, it's, it's just this movie really it's it's crazy because like there are very fantastical sequences and mm-hmm. in the book too but like both the original text and the movie really make an effort to show you like even if you don't think that you matter you do you mm-hmm. are one droplet yeah. in an ocean but like oh. if you don't have those individual drops then it's not an ocean it yeah. doesn't exist it's great it it's i think it's very uplifting you just have to make it through like all three hours you have to be like locked the hell in but, but if it you fucking are moves. it's totally worth yeah. it it moves it moves and um what is an ocean but a sea of drops is a multitude of drops is um i i almost got a tattooed on myself like yeah it, it's yeah. it's that it's good and it's from the novel like it is oh it's awesome it is it is also a mic drop in the novel it's like david mitchell being like here you are on the next to last page i'm just gonna leave you with this and you're like fucking mitchell tears. what Ooh. um yep. The thing that I think was different in the test screening is I, I could swear that mm. that line is said by Duna Bay oh. in the cut I saw. Whoa. And like that was how I'd always remembered it. And then I rewatched it a couple years ago with friends. And it's um it's Jim Sturgis who says yeah. it. And I was like, yeah. this is not the movie I remembered. Because I remembered being a little disappointed because I thought her delivery of that line was flat in a mm. way that like works for her in other moments of her performance but that line needs a musicality to it and so like yeah the Sturgis delivery works better but also I don't know if the Duna Bay delivery actually existed or if I just (laughs) misremembered it I love the idea that it existed Mm -hmm. and that they well I think you're you're spot on like it needs to have like that's the fucking line yeah like and I get it because it's like it's sort of an arc between like Jim Sturgis and Duna Bay as actors because it's like their characters are together in like that section and also in the neo soul section and it's like there's all this intercutting where it's like them finding their way back to each other I get it it would be very cool if it was her delivering it because she's delivered like this incredible speech in Mm. the neo soul section you know our lives are not our own from womb to tomb but Uh, I will say in past and present the 1849 and every kindness we birth our future sorry done in the 1849 section she's supposed to either have like the british accent Mm -hmm. um and i feel like maybe given like the accent and sort of like everything combined and like her makeup is so weird um if if that line read exists maybe it just sort of like was kind of taking away from the power of the moment. Yeah. Our yeah. lives are not our own. From womb to tomb, we are bound to others, past and present. Cry on each Mike. crime and every kindness, we birth our future. I put the phrase uh, from womb to tomb in season two of Arden, and I did not realize I was ripping off Sun 451. <laughs> I, I believe it's actually like like a phrase other people have used, yeah. but... Yeah. I'm sure that's where how it got stuck in my brain was. Oh, for I sure. use it in a totally ridiculous context too. So, <laughs> just remember, if you respect the original work, it's an homage. Mm. It's yes. not a. This rip. is true. It's this is true. In 
intentional. I mean, this movie's full of like lines, as we said, like the drop in the ocean, obviously, but there's like others. Like, I mean, the one I always go back to is a half finished book is after all half finished love affair. You have like the, I believe there's another world waiting for us, a better world. And I'll be waiting for you there. there. Uh. Yeah. I mean, this is, I think this is like we mentioned, this is a movie where the Wachowskis really showed that like, we want to make movies about the power of love and the power of humanity and about how it doesn't matter sort of like what shape you're wearing in terms Mm. of body, like souls are connected. Um, There's a a great quote from Zachary in the 2321 section about like clouds in the sky and how clouds are like souls and like the clouds change shape, but it's still a cloud and like your souls change Mm. shape and, and can appear in like different people, but it's still a soul. Like, at the end of the day, we're all human, which is not something you think would be such kind of like a radical theme to talk about, but it does feel like very profound. Mm. Yeah. And if you accept that, like reincarnation is real. And if you accept that, maybe it's not bound by like chronology. I have no way of knowing if one of you is also me, you know, right. like, and I have no way of knowing if the, 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 how the unhoused person I pass on the street is also me. And like, when you start thinking that way, like the breakdown of society as we have it structured follows very quickly which is why people don't want you to think about it that way but like the Wachowskis always want you to think about it that way and also Tom Mm -hmm. Tickver in this film yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. I love that it's kind of it's kind of this is the only film that has been like co-directed by the Wachowskis and someone else and uh David Mitchell even though like he's not the director but um like is coming back to be involved with them for for resurrections yeah and it's it's I think that it's very impressive that this is a three director movie and if I didn't know I wouldn't be able to tell which sections are directed by which it was actually it very much surprised me when I like actually found the breakdown yeah um like it's it's very seamless yeah and i think that really speaks to like the power of collaboration um too and like you know this is a movie like we said it's about collaboration and connection and and humanity and so it's nice to see that reflected like behind the scenes and i think you can really like feel that in the directing Folks, do you love movies that transcend time and space, that encapsulate the whole of human experience? Do you wish that you could be connected with other people through some sort of amazing transient property? Not, maybe not as cool as a comet birthmark, but something almost as awesome and with as much goodwill. I've been yearning for something like this. Brooke, where on earth could I ever find such an opportunity? Well, let me tell you, Super Yaki no is the place way. for you. Not only do you get the warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart that comes mm. with purchasing from some of the most lovely, just nicest, best, best people, people the on the internet. Right. Like but how certain stories in this are all about like just good people. Yeah. It's crazy that they were all Super Yaki. That is crazy. Yeah. And you also get the most high quality merch possible absolutely on par with dare i say it the cloud Mm. atlas sextant absolutely it plays along as you're purchasing it's truly that level of artistic quality it really is and there's a huge variety no matter what story you're gravitating most towards to super yaki's got something
something for that fix, both in oh. terms of design and in terms of product. You want notebooks, you want hats, you want shirts, you want socks, you want bumper stickers. Oh my God, they have it all. You can get everything and more. Are these at the stories passed down the generations? Like super yucky clothes go on to inspire revolutions and go on to become like a religion that Tom Hanks teaches his children? Totally. That's so cool. It's the best shop for anyone who loves movies. You can even support Ben Wishaw himself with some oh. of their Paddington designs. We you love know what him. I mean? There's plenty that you can do. It's truly the best place for people of all movie loving ages and we could not recommend them more they bring you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride mm. hashtag ben pride <laughs> uh and hey guess what what there's a very special gift to you oh there is the listeners what is it you can save 10 percent off oh your order God. with code super qq that's all caps no spaces wow super qq so listen it's like listening to the sextet and you're like wow if there's only one way that this could be better and it's using our code absolutely and look we just, we love them. And if you want to feel the euphoric, happy feeling that mm. we felt through this episode and every time we feel and wear Super Yaki merch, you can find them at superyaki.com. That's S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I.com. Let's watch and love more movies, Jordan. Let's do it. Let's go. To the clouds? To the clouds. I feel like... I have started to like, re like not realize this. I feel like we've talked about this on the, the podcast before, but like I f keep finding myself so drawn to these humanist stories and like these directors, like, as we said before, like mm -hmm. Demi, my guy is like, all of his stuff is so much about like these humanist themes and like with the Chowskis, these humanist themes. And I feel like it's hitting so much harder the quote unquote older I get or the more I start to think about these theme things because you sort of like yearn for art to sort of have that feeling again when I feel like we be were so inundated for a little bit of things that were just so like, and I'm fine. I'm fine with like nihilistic things and I'm like cool with it or whatever. Sometimes but like for something nice. to some, <laughs> for sometimes for things just to be earnest and like very human and care about people is very tender. And, and we, we talked about how it can be earnest and heartfelt and still have complicated characters and right. still have people end in a messy way just yeah. because it's sincere. doesn't mean that it has to be like sunshine and rainbows. Exactly. Um, Yeah. I think that we've talked about obviously like the humanity and mm. sort of like the queer read of this film, but I want to touch on like a couple like specifically trans-centric themes that like the Wachowskis yeah. have talked about. You know, when Lily Wachowski was sort of like delivering a statement about like being trans in today's world, et cetera, um, she talked about... Uh, quote, to transition imparts a sense of immediacy of before and after from one terminus to another. But the reality, my reality, is that I've been transitioning and will continue to transition all my life through the infinite that exists between male and female as it does in the infinite between the binary of zero and one. We need to elevate the dialogue beyond the simplicity of binary. Binary is a false idol. Um, and I think that that is sort of like reflected very beautifully in this film. I personally kind of like the gender mm -hmm. swapping because I don't think it's ever it's obviously never done with malice and yeah. I don't think it's ever played in a way that would come across it's not like for poorly. a joke or anything I think the movie's like whole goal of it is like to show like the transgression of gender and how like characters as we've said like reincarnated like you could be like whoever you want to be in whatever world and like it's mm -hmm. all about like finding your body and like who knows like what like the future may hold and like just like taking down those structures yeah and I think it's yeah. very clear that it sort of reflects to how to how they feel like personally. Specifically, yeah. Yeah. There is definitely a um an egalitarian 
humanism in this movie that Mm -hmm. is why it's so good and also that paints it into the corners it gets into where it's like i'm gonna do this thing now and that's not gonna turn out poorly for me at all (laughs) and i get i get the the logical reasoning behind the decision to do race bending makeup Mm -hmm. um which and to be clear, they also have actors of color in, I guess what you would call white face. It's not yeah. a thing, but I'm going to use yeah. that term. And it still just looks strange. You know, it just yes. doesn't like on that level. It's just like it doesn't work in terms of assisting the performance. But when you have white actors doing yellow face, it's just like, yeah, you've, you've crossed a line into a space where your artistic choice is actively defeating the message it's trying to make. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I accept that, like, they had to figure out a way to, like you know convey these same people keep living out this same drama all mm-hmm. across history i just think they could have found a better way <laughs> yeah I completely agree it, i agree it, t- it takes you out of it which is so unfortunate because it's like the makeup isn't great it is like jim Sturgis just looks really rough i don't think there's there's a good way to do it and have it no like we said not feel like a little bit of a ooh, I can I can see a version where sort of like everyone is just styled of the era like everyone mm. is in like similar clothing and similar hair but nothing is actually altered about like their face shape or their skin color. Mm. Um I do think it could have been worse, you know? You do have everyone basically using accents that are like not too offensive. Like I like I didn't really remember and when we got to the neo soul section I was like is everyone like using like sort of like Duna Bay's level of accent. Mm. They're not. I think that's helpful. Um, but I can I can see a version where it's just like it's a little bit less literal and a little bit more open like to interpretation. interpretation. Like yeah. we get that everyone is just a resident of Neo Soul yeah. without having them to look like, you know. Right. And I think it's rough too because they don't like I think god they don't have people do blackface but because they I, like yeah, so I don't specifically think exclude been. it yeah and then they have people in uh you know yellow face it it stands out even more that's so yes and it's, it's like just, it's tough for example they have duna bay like playing a mexican woman in mm. the san francisco section like it, it's it's it, they do sort of make a little bit of an effort to do it across, across the board, as yeah. much as they can um like they yeah like we said they have halle berry in whiteface they have halle berry playing like someone in neo soul but yeah, if hugo weaving in old georgie face oh i'm sorry course. how could we forget <laughs> yeah look i don't want to be like well if we were making this today, here's yeah. what we should do. But I feel like we've addressed it's it. It's less been... than it's less than ten years old. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I get, here's the thing: the the same reasons, like I said, the reasons I like this movie are also the reasons it makes this choice that just does not work. And like, you know, um, I don't. I I can. I think I can say it doesn't work, and it was a bad choice, and it is offensive. While also being like. But it stems from the same wellspring that makes me love this movie so much. And like, mm-hmm. you yep. know, that happens sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that, like we said, that's sort of like the double-edged sword of taking these really big swings is that sometimes you're like, this this is this is not good. Right. Yeah. I will say the Wachowskis kind of, if they step in it, they step in it in regards to race, you know? Yeah. Like they uh, are really good at getting diverse casts, um, especially compared to other directors of their era. But, you know, you have things like the Oracle in The Matrix, who is, mm-hmm. I really love the performance of that character. I really love the idea of that character, but casting a black woman in that role has certain connotations that I think they just didn't think about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, and, you know, this is not a thing where I'm going to say that Wachowski's 
have no never told a good story about race but like they just they just don't think about it in the way they think about other themes and i think that is that is a that is a blind spot in their work yeah, yeah no, i would absolutely very much agree and definitely like a product of experience too and that like it's it's sort of this idea where it's like yes well we want diversity which is a good thing but like failing to sort of like look at mm. implications to specific characters can lead to stuffing in it sometimes how does it I'm, I have not seen Sense8, but does Sense8, because I know it's a sprawling sort of like more, it's like a bunch of different continents, right? And people from right. all different backgrounds. Yes. Like, is that handled better or is it sort of done in a similar way or? I will say I would be curious to give Sense8 another deep dive since the last time I really properly like sat down and watched it all was like three to four years ago. And I feel like obviously the cultural conversation has evolved and I feel like my viewing has also evolved. Mm. But from what... I remember, I remember being like, it is sort of par for the course with their work. They have the best of intentions. Mm. Sometimes it's a little iffy, but for the most part, it really does feel like we're all human. We're all going through this, right. this stuff. And I, I love the diverse cast, but Emily, I know, I know that you've, you've seen Sense8. Um, do you yeah, have? I like Sense8. I, like Sense I think, yeah. um, I honestly think it's, uh, I mean, it's much better than this in terms of yes. <laughs> international themes and storytelling. They don't cast, um, they actually kind of find a way to do the themes of Cloud Atlas mm-hmm. in a way that isn't, you know, it's uh, because every, these eight people are sharing a consciousness, you know, like Duna Bay can come in and like take over for someone. Right. And she literally is coming in and like taking over the role in that scene. Yeah. I have no idea how they filmed that and made it at all budget conscious. I am suspecting they didn't, but um, it's uh, it, it is definitely like, getting at some of the same ideas. Certainly there's clumsiness in it, but I do feel like Sense8 in many ways um, is a repeat of Cloud Atlas. I like it less. I think it's a little bit, I, as, a, as, a t, as a work of TV, it has a lot of the flaws that things that happen when filmmakers make television uh, yeah. often happen. Yes. But as like, in terms of dealing with some of the blind spots Cloud Atlas has, it, it, it passes much better, I think. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that like, I, I I feel I have very, very positive, strong feelings about that show and like when that show came into my life and like what I feel like it helped me like realize well, like cinematically and everything. What, when you were mentioning but, earlier, like in terms of like Oscar Wilde and Emily Dickinson and stuff, and I think that this way about like the Wachowskis and like, you know, queer directors and like people who make queer art and like that's so much of our podcast is like how art can help people. Yeah. And you were saying that I'm like so much of who I am today and who I'm still continuing to be and like discovering and thinking about is so much because of queer art. Like if it didn't exist and it didn't have maybe, you know, as we were talking about tragic endings or whatever, I don't know if I would be who I am today or, or if I would be making these discoveries or thoughts or like having these conversations or questions. So like it's all like a part of like the Wachowskis and we've mentioned with this, like uh, the matrix episode is like so much of their stuff is about storytelling and how storytelling can have an impact on people and how that like can change throughout time. And like, yeah, that's like this movie so specifically. Yeah. And hand in hand with that, you know, sometimes you have to make something that's a little messier, like cloud Atlas so that you can sort of take another step forward and make Mm. something like sensei, which while not perfect, like really does get at so many of these same things. And it's like, you really need to watch it, Jordan, because there's so many awesome, like it's, it's like bringing action sensibility from the matrix where like someone will be fighting and like mid fight during a cool camera trick like one person will turn into Duna Bay and like it's all done practically behind the scenes is sick because they're just like yanking people in and out behind the camera Mm. it looks (laughs) 
awesome. And it's, they're able to like do so much of the stuff that you feel like that they want to do. They're able to have like the martial arts, like mostly through Duna Bay, who's like a fucking star and they're able to have this like shared consciousness and like everyone is pansexual and everyone like sort of like it feels together. Like there's like revolutionary group orgy scenes. (laughs) amazing so many totally worth it um it's like it ends with a revolutionary group orgy scene that is the last thing you see and it's their christmas special (laughs) (laughs) absolutely crazy i mean there's literally like a full-on birthing montage in season one where you see like eight babies come out wild of of the womb i guess this is a question for the group and like emily having read the book like I, this movie gets knocked a lot for its length, but I think that this is like a thing with people complain about long movies, but I think this movie works so well as a movie. Would you have preferred this as an adaptation for TV or do you think that it like fits better within the confines of a film? I would love, I, I, I don't want to see this story adapted again. I think this is yeah. a perfect adaptation of the book. That said, I would absolutely watch an, a, a series that adapted the book in a in 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 the sense that the book was originally presented right which is to say five half hour episodes that are the first half of each of these stories a full hour that is the zachary story and then the back halves and you know that that is that's how it goes and probably you have, have cast different actors and you have a different way of indicating because the thing this film invents that all of these characters are reincarnations is an invention of the film in the book there mm-hmm. is this the comet tattoo but that's like the yeah. one indication that there is uh and it goes to it's it's not always the protagonist which is really interesting mm-hmm. um so uh the comet tattoo the comet uh birthmark so yeah i i would be interested to see that but i think this is just such a such a master class in how to adapt something that seems fundamentally unadaptable and i i I'm sorry people bounced off it, but also I can imagine walking into this movie and not knowing what you're going to get and then having like Tom Hanks sitting around a fire and talking in a weird like post-apocalyptic yes. patois and then you cut to 1849. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, Tom Hanks' giant teeth being like, hello there. Yeah. Like, oh boy. I do think that this, it's the perfect marriage of filmmaker and, uh, you know, material. Yeah. Uh, and you know who we have to thank for all of this? Who? One of our favorite gals, Jordan, Natalie Portman. Oh? Who flagged this book on the London set of V for Vendetta for Lana Wachowski. However, this is trivia that I have found online, so it's mm. possible that it Take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> this, <laughs> absolute, this absolutely sounds true, though, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. This absolute, like, let, Natalie Portman has read this book, and Natalie Portman 100%. has handed this book to everyone she knows, and Lana Wachowski just happened to be paying attention. Yes. Mm. Um, That's a, a great story, honestly, though. A not so great uh, addendum to that piece of oh. trivia is that by flagging this book and like being a longtime fan, Natalie Portman was promised the role of Son Me 451, but had to turn oh. down the role at the last minute after becoming pregnant in 2010. However, she's giving a special thanks in the closing credits. Uh, so do thank we have you. Black Swan to thank for that? Uh, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Uh, and then Black Swan must have been before she got pregnant. 
There's right, there's yeah, no yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably she, got, she met Benjamin yeah. Millipede, who's on, her that? Yeah. on the set of Black Swan. So there's, yeah. it's my favorite meet We're story, meet cute story of all time. It makes me so happy. <laughs> um, do you it, like Do you like Black Swan? I, I don't know. I don't do know. You, do, you? do you think I yeah. do? Yeah, that's uh, my favorite movie. Uh, very that's a basic, cute story, though. It's cute. I like that. Anyway, but I think yes. let's all be glad one that this like. Sort of. This wasn't Duna Bay's like first role by any means, but I think like it was very much like a large sort of more global like American role for her. And I just, I mean, as you probably have heard through this episode, like I absolutely love her. I think she's like such she's a star. She's phenomenal in those sequences, and the yeah. sequences look fantastic. The CG has held so well; I've, it looks phenomenal. The scene, the shot, I think about all the time is the floor that like looks basically like a koi pond uh, yeah. where it's like water for floor. And while they step, you actually see the ripples going through the water. It looks phenomenal. I have no idea how it's aged. So, I mean, granted as we were saying, it's not 10 years old, but whatever, but like still movies from 10 years ago haven't aged sometimes that well. It looks better than some aspects of Jupiter ascending a movie that That's we like, True, yes. um, but bark the, bark. Yeah. The newest all sequence looks great. And I also think that like that, that um section obviously holds a soft spot for the Wachowskis because of like all the cool like cyberpunky stuff that they love anime influences yeah. Of course, yeah but also both Lana and Lily have said that like that is the section that they feel like represents like the trans experience to them mm. the best and that it's about like they've spoken about sort of like the violence and the sort of like failure to comply like themes that pop up in that section which I think is interesting and so many trans people um work in low, sort of low low budget um a low budget's the wrong word low income fast food jobs that sort of thing mm-hmm. um so and we are all clones of the same person of course um, that is true <laughs> mm, <a fun laughs> fact. Um, uh, brooke i had a question for you uh, yeah. you haven't really made this clear how do you feel about duna bay uh you know small crush big crush (laughs) baby is my top six actor of all time if we're trying to to rank rank um i just think she's no i mean i just i just think that she's incredibly talented and i'm delighted every time i see her Mm. on screen she's so magnetic to me i also you know she's really beautiful and i have a little crush on her so that probably helps uh, big fan. Big fan of Ben Wishaw, too. I mean, I think that the, everyone in this cast, I think, is giving a performance. Even Hugh, Hugh Grant is <laughs> Hugh delivering Grant, the goods. Hugh Grant, we haven't even barely talked We have about not talked Hugh about Grant. him. He's great in this, and I think it's nice when we see him in fun new roles. Yes, yeah. Emily? <laughs> bunch, just a bunch of hotties in this cast. Let's just Truly. Just yes. a bunch of hotties. Old Georgie. My hot, I mean, my hot boy. <laughs> you want to talk about... What, this is this is what the male body should look like. This mm. is peak male this is, <laughs> physicality. Yeah, it's old Georgie. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, he's yeah. great. I I also love how this like so much of this movie is about like people can be anything. People can be bad. People can be good. People, people can, can evolve unless you're Hugh Grant or Hugo Weaving. Yes. Then I'm sorry, you just suck. You're always bad. You hate to see it. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it takes a lot of. It's very difficult to stop being the oppressor you have to learn to empathize with the oppressed and that is a thing that society is set up to not make us do and mm-hmm. i think that those two characters sort of represent that like if you look at you know the 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 hanks character he's an oppressor in the early sections and then you know at the end he's the oppressed so yeah. like he is he is on that journey in a way that hugh grant and uh and hugo weaving just aren't but if reincarnation works the way uh, it 
supposedly does, then you know they'll they'll get their their turn at the wheel too. So yeah, Cloud Atlas two, baby. Let's oh do God. it. Buckle up. Listen, anything's possible. If Matrix Resurrection brings in a billion dollars worldwide, I feel like I'm gonna jinx it now. For, don't say anything. Say yeah. that. It's weird because these we're recording them before the know. movie comes out. They'll be released afterwards. So a lot of anticipation. Either we're prophets or we're very wrong. Mm. Uh, we'll see. That's Either great. way, I'm not nervous at all. No. Um. No. But I love. Um. And I think like. Uh, just to touch very briefly, Emily, on what you were saying about like identifying and like sympathizing with like the oppressed. We get to see like a mini version of that in the Jim Sturgis arc in 1849 and that he's like, well, I thought that I wasn't an abolitionist, but mm. it turns out that I am. And isn't that nice? Also love to see David. Is it David Giassi? Is it yeah. Giassi? I think um, Giassi. Yeah. That sounds right. He's wonderful i wish he was in more of these sections yeah. like i think it would be interesting when we were thinking about sort of like the neo soul problem i was like maybe it would be interesting if like he was the lead in that section as opposed to jim sturgis like without any makeup or modifications mm. but then it's also like keith david is in that section and like they give him yeah sort of the treatment as well yeah um keith david gets it across the board yeah Yeah. (laughs) how do you feel about as we were saying like the presentation of gender within the film in which like you know hugh grant it becomes like like a nurse ratchet almost right uh uh, Hugo Hugo weaving i don't know what everyone else thinks about nurse Noakes. i think that is a great fun time and yeah. i wasn't sure if it was gonna bump with me this time but it didn't at all it's a it's a blast like that you go he's having there's he's just having so much fun and like i feel like you know one of my hotter takes is that if you have trans people behind the camera you can get away with a lot of stuff in front of the camera that maybe you couldn't if cis people were there and didn't know like what Absolutely. You might step on. I think mm-hmm. this is like the best example of that imaginable. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. That's like, you know, there are obviously countless benefits to having marginalized people behind the camera. But like one of them is that like you are able to push boundaries that you're more comfortable with, which is why it's always so exciting to see. I mean, you know, bringing it back to Portrait of a Lady on Fire real quick. It's really exciting to see like acclaimed queer directors do exciting queer things and like not give a fuck. And like the Wachowski is like have done like a ton for trans representation on screen. Like I think of like Jamie Clayton and Sensei is obviously like a great example, but like this is such a sort of fun, I don't even want to call it tongue in cheek, like fun way of doing like gender presentation where it, it doesn't like have to be so serious about it, yeah. but it also doesn't feel well, out doesn't of line. It doesn't feel like Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, <laughs> Ben Wishaw as Georgette in the London 2012, even though that's kind of like a stereotypical effeminate performance. I mean, he only has like a couple minutes, but yeah. like, it's so, I think it's like so Georgette. fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like no, it. No, I like it a lot too. And I, I think, think it cool. like, it could, as we were saying, it could have been so much more dangerous, but the way in which they shoot it and the way I think that all of our, our actors are so committed to it sells it so that it doesn't you know bump yeah but i i have somehow ended up on a wikipedia page called the wachowski's unrealized projects which Uh, um, this is going to be includes upsetting in the nine nineteen ninety nine. this is like around the time of the the matrix um they had written a low budget a horror movie a corman style low budget horror movie that dealt with cannibalism or more specifically millionaires being eaten by cannibals the writing was well-received, 
although interest in making the film was low as executives told them this is a bad idea i can't make this i'm rich (laughs) (laughs) the wachowski said eat the rich and the executive said no thank you then the matrix opens and like is a huge hit and everyone wants to do anything they can with them so they're like well we got this super cheap script you could probably make it for under 10 million and everyone's like oh and it's almost been made several times in I love how all of their things are constantly about specific bodies being consumed for energy and whether good or bad it's like you have the matrix I mean this one Jupiter ascending constantly revolving around these themes I Um, mean we do get the cannibalism in this movie so listen as the internet's number one Hannibal fan I love More a good cannibalism story. I actually probably can't say that I'm the number one Hannibal fan because there are people no, that... Yeah, I don't, yeah, a... But I would fight the number one Hannibal fan. Uh, Brooke, have you watched Yellow Jackets? Uh, yes, I have, and I am obsessed, and I've uh, really been enjoying Jordan, your tweets about Jordan, have you watched Yellow it. Jackets? Even oh, no. though I told you to. I know. I All have right. so much to catch okay, up on. Okay, Brooke, this is Yellow Jackets Corner. Jordan, go get a snack or something. Yeah, um, get a I'm flying away to the clouds. It's so good. It's, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, I just like I am. I haven't seen a show I'm this obsessed with, like knowing everything about in ages. Mm. I'm really kind of bummed out that the ratings are as bad as they are because I don't want it to get canceled. But also, like, I feel like I got everything. I I, I feel like I'm. I want to know everything, but also I got everything I needed when we saw a weird woman dressed in like fur pelts and antlers. In the, and the I'm just like, you know what? That's a thing so I needed good. to see. Yeah, yeah. what? It's really good. <laughs> It's I I think like it was uh, I think it was uh, like uh, one of your pieces of writing about it. But like I haven't stopped thinking about the point that you made about how this like Yellow Jackets is such a good show about like how dangerous teenage girls can be, but not in a clicky way in like a life or death sort of way. Mm, And it's just it's such a great show. I do feel like since it premiered, though, I've seen like, especially in LA, I've seen more billboards pop up. I've seen more advertisements, like more Good. so than like before it was premiering. Um, I want it to get renewed so I can so perpetually badly. be upset that I'm not on the writing staff because oh, like, yeah. there's always one show on TV where I'm like, I wish I was writing on that. Yep. And it's never like Succession. Like Succession, I would just feel like very like terrified. But fucking, fucking <laughs> yeah. Yellow Jackets... I I know like there's just something about being a teen girl that is just like cannibalism and I can't even tell you how I just know it like yep. I can't explain it just metaphorically I'm like yes this makes perfect sense I mean that's why we have ginger snaps in Jennifer's body I was like just there's say, yeah. something the there hell is a teenage girl yeah. yeah and it's it's so exciting because it's so visceral and like mm. I think when you're a teenage girl it really is that like what's that meme uh aren't you tired of being nice don't you just want to go ape shit like that's like the entirety of the show and it makes me so happy did Karen Kusama yeah. direct all of it yeah. or just the pilot um Karen Kusama directed the pilot, the pilot. Yeah. It, yeah but there's been some very cool directors popping up and around this is this is a ploy this is a a a humble request for everyone listening to this to fucking watch yellow jackets including jordan i yes. will i know i need to i feel bad i feel so bad first I, yellow I, jackets then sensei i you know when i was i i'm trying to do fewer podcasts because i used to just say yes to everybody when i was like researching this one i saw that my friend good friend jordan cruciola has done oh, an episode i was like her. well if jordan if jordan's done the show then it must be good so <laughs> i i i that you know that and that was a um, a big reason i came on here and jordan cruciola loves yellow jackets so mm-hmm. This is, uh, and you know who else probably loves Yellow Jackets? I don't know. I haven't asked them, but Lana and Lily Wachowski. I am willing to bet. 
I'm sure. Love yeah. Yellow Jackets. Yeah. Actually, Lily Wachowski's show is on Showtime. She's probably like contractually bound to watch Yellow Jackets. <laughs> I was going to say, she probably has to tweet about it or something soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's going to do a live tweet. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there's great queer rep and there's cannibalism. And, you know, there's some weird times shit, too, that they're playing with. It sounds great. Maybe supernatural yeah. elements. But uh, yes, um, uh, Jordan has, Jordan Cruciola, not you, sorry, mm. has been doing the great, like, Yellow Jackets power rankings, kind of like the Hunter Harris success power mm. rankings um of a course. classic um yeah this friend is of the pod a friend of the pod sort of <laughs> no my friend your my, friend my close personal friend <laughs> we went to college with hunter yes. um yeah it's great please watch yellow jackets um I love this. this has been this has not been yellow, sponsored this has been yellow jackets but maybe should be um, i'll take a sponsorship i'll sell out yeah get some i will swag. watch it i'll i will watch it though i'll make that promise on mike now do it do it do it um uh, we'll also have to thank jordan cruciola next time we yeah. see her Thank yeah. you. Uh, yes, you can call me friend of the pod. I feel oh. like I feel like I've attained that. I feel like if I'm on a podcast, I become a friend. Unless yeah, like pod, we had yeah. been really confident. Do you want to have a fight? We can not fight. <laughs> we can fight I'm right the now. the enemy of the pod. Ooh. Maybe <laughs> See, that's like a fun title to get where you're like, we, we I want to be enemy of the pod, not friend. We don't have enemies of the pod as far as I know. So you can mm. be our most high, high profile enemy. Much, True. much more exciting. It's a nice um, title to have. Don't have yeah. to compete with anyone. Okay, noted. Yeah, you could be the Hugo Weaving to our podcast. Locked and loaded. We have to get you a top hat. Just, to, just really complete. Yeah. I, yeah, I want to be. I want to be old Georgie. <laughs> I do want to be old Georgie. Like, I'm I aspiring for that energy. What if I just like appeared on other podcasts as old Georgie, just in character, <laughs> just showing up to be like. <laughs> I yeah, feel like, like we need to do that for like five episodes or six episodes from now. Just bring you on for a quick spot and just you come in really quick, get out, and everyone's <laughs> just like, what the fuck was that? And you're like, it's old Georgie. It's old Georgie. You're not a true fan because you don't if, know it. I am so sincere about this. If you want me to just like record some old Georgie shit and just like you could pepper it into episodes. I mean, duly noted. Look, as someone who will throw a lot of dumb <laughs> things occasionally into the podcast, just as bits, you are feeding me right now. Yeah, I mean, the just, 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 just write me the dialogue. I play a whale on Arden. I like, I'll do anything. <laughs> oh, let's go. All right, I gotta like, I gotta get into the old Georgie headspace. Just really go <laughs> method with it while writing the dialogue. You know what's crazy is that's kind of the most wild element of this film to me <laughs> in that like there's, there's so much happening. There's yeah. so many interweaving timelines. You've got crazy hovercrafts. You've got cannibals. Cool but like you know, the minute that Hugo Weaving shows up in a top hat appearing like literally in Tom Hanks's ear <laughs> and on top of rocks. I'm like, this is like that's so good. Nuts. Yeah. Um, but you know, if I, I had so to, much. if I had to live with like a shit ton of rad levels in Hawaii, I'd probably be seeing some shit yeah. as well. Um, is there any sort of like yeah. more color in the book as to like what he's supposed to represent or like sort of how that book ends the story? Since in the, in the actual book, that story is like smack dab in the middle. He's just the devil, you know, he, you don't Gotta actually see him. He, he's just like a thing mm. that Zachary is afraid of. So, yeah. I kind of like that it's a physical form, though, in this versus like a voice. Yeah. And so. I don't I don't know if this was the case in the novel, but I always read Zachary in the novel as being like 17, 18. Mm. Uh, and I may have been reading the great uh, Russell Hoban novel, Ridley Walker, which David Mitchell is a very obviously paying homage to in that section. Um, in mind and Ridley is I believe 13 and that's one of my favorite books ever written um but yeah I I don't know when they said Tom Hanks was playing Zachary I was like really I'm gonna look up the book now and see if like Zachary is supposed to be younger if I'm yeah. just 
he certainly has that kind of like childlike sense of of good and evil and sort of like grappling with morality he doesn't like act i feel like very much so is like that like when you're a kid and you see something happening to your family and it's like do you jump in to act to save them or do you like try to survive Mm -hmm. you know the fight or flight and it's not just that he's a coward because like he is it 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 has this very sort of like innocent Mm -hmm. tilt to it and I mean, I mean Tom it, Hanks that's is sort of like everything with Tom Hanks, though. Yeah, so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, so so yeah, in the in the book, Zachary is old, but he's telling a story of his youth, uh. right. and the movie has retained that structure with without ever once yeah. being like Tom yeah. Hanks. You should you're playing. Because honestly, like Ben Whishaw could play young Tom Hanks, but they need Tom Hanks to play the lead in a certain section. So I, right. I mean, it works. I'm not sitting here saying Tom Hanks is bad in this movie, but it is, it is interesting if you compare it to the book. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, it's it's it is crazy. I know we already talked about Tom Hanks, but like just no, I love just it. Thinking I love about Tom it, Hanks talk. Just thinking about Tom Hanks, and I mean, I was just literally I was telling Brooke earlier I was uh, sobbing before this podcast recording because I had just finished watching Finch, a movie that I did not expect to leave me in tears, uh, but did. Dan now streaming on Apple. Yeah, which I have another plug, so I might have to watch it. I mean, he's good in everything. I like to see him in crazy scenarios, like. Uh, Finch and like this movie and also I would just like to say the pairing of Tom Hanks and Halle Berry big fan I think they work well together they're cute big fan when they're outside talking together it's cute and (laughs) wholesome and I like it even though there is some weird sort of like power structure business happening in the the last I don't think in a bad way just in no of course yeah it's like a huge part of the story yeah yeah it's good I think Halle Berry uh talks a lot about how like this film was like truly transcendent for her too and how she's like I'm never gonna do another movie like this yeah um yeah this movie I mean I think she's really good in it as well like yeah, I think Halle, I mean, Halle yeah. Berry, good actor, but I think that this is, again, a thing that, like, gives her nice challenges and, like, a nice sort of spread to actually show her range because I feel like so much recently she's been, like, kind of put into the, oh, my kid got kidnapped, I have to chase after them thing, you know? She just had her directorial debut. I know, I need to see it. Have you? I have not. You've not gotten bruised? I haven't. Mm. <laughs> we'll get right on that. Um, okay. Yes. I, I have a good, good sort of, like, final question. If yes. you had to pick power player from this movie both a power actor and a power character who you got who you bring into the table i can tell you i can kick us off if you like are you going with i'm actually really excited to hear what you're gonna say because i can't even possibly predict it so please go ahead (laughs) okay Mm. (laughs) um my power character is robert frobisher played by Ben Wishaw, but my power actor is Duna Bay, even though like she does far and away the most in the Neo Soul section. I feel like it's honestly, I like kind of love her in the San mm. Francisco section, even though that's like an insane role. Um, and I think that like, she has so much of this overarching speech, the, the womb to tomb speech that like stays so relevant and you hear so often. And like yeah. she to me is like what I come away from this film, like feeling for, mm. um, there you go. I am a parody a of myself. You weren't going to I was expecting Susan Sarandon. I love it. I mean, she's here. Delivers the goods she for what she up. has to do. <laughs> Fuck. Um, Emily, are you ready? <laughs> Sorry to spring this on you guys. I'm just trying to foster um. some convo. Power, uh, power player and power character. 
I mean, I I think my power I think my power character is uh, is Sonmi four five one. Like mm-hmm. yeah. she's uh, she's just you know she's just my girl. She's she's so great, and uh, Duna Bay is so great, and that speech is so great, and everything about it is so great. Um, oh, God, I don't know my my power player is the Wachowskis and Tom Tickfer. Like let's I'm go making, yeah making this movie. How do you mm-hmm. even begin to do that? And actually. Yep. I lied because my power player is old Georgie. Baby. He's, he's always there. <laughs> you didn't expect him, but he there he is. He up on you. He needles you. Uh, God. Okay. I Don't mm, think too hard. I'm not thinking too hard. Okay. Power player, the plunger uh, that goes to Timothy Cavendish's great, face. Great. Um, I think Ben Wishaw, I just like... It, the performance really like just stuck with me this time. I think it changes very each good. time I watch it and like very each good. time I think about it. Like I think at certain points of like my watching when I was like younger, certain characters would stand out more when you know. So I think it's just constantly fluctuating. I mean, this movie is I feel very strongly about how much I love this movie and how much it means to me because it sort of encapsulates so much of like how I feel and a lot of things that I think about and like stories that I enjoy yeah. watching and like reading. So yeah, I don't know. I shout out to the Wachowskis again. Also I'll do a book shout out. Do Club it. Cuckoo Land, which I think is out now. Maybe it was read earlier this year. It's a sort of similar book in which it has like three, sp- well not six, but three timelines and how they all overlap. And it's all about time and our relationships and humanity. So if you're looking for another cloud related book, there you go. You should read it. Good to know. Good to know. Anyways, is there anything super important that we missed that we should touch on? Any other queer themes? I mean, I feel like that's the big stuff. Yeah. I think that it's just really exciting how the queer themes, you know, obviously themes of like oppression and breaking free and the human experience, but Mm. like specifically like queer themes too, are sort of like reinterpreted and put on these different, uh, these different time periods, even if it's not explicitly about that. I mean, we're recording this in early December. It's coming out in mid-January, so that means it's 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 happiest season time. We gotta talk it happiest is. season now. Um, we actually <laughs> this is actually it, amazing. This is really funny because you're laying up so much right now. We are. This is a great peek behind the curtain. So interesting to everybody. We are talking about this movie like chronologically before After we're happiest ta- season. <laughs> yes, yeah. but like so. Okay, as of this recording, we mm-hmm. have not recorded our episode on Happiest True. Season yet, but when you're listening to this, our episode on Happiest Season will have already come out. Facts. So this is wait, bonus wait, Happiest Wait, 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 wait. Who's the guest? Who's the guest? Um, I mean... The b- great Bobby Finger? The great Bobby Finger. We're recording I'm the guest. next weekend. I'm the guest. Fire him. <laughs> Fire him. <laughs> Old Georgie taking over. <laughs> I got, I got, I got, I got uh, Happiest Season hot takes for days. Let's litigate I them actually, if you like, want. you've queued it up. Yeah, we you got to say them. I just I think it's I think it is one of the better movies about the queer experience. One Thank of the better you. mainstream movies about the queer experience. Like it's not a, like I'm not going to sit here and say it's a great movie because it's not. But it is a very charming, very good movie and Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis should have ended up together at the end. Yes. yes. <laughs> We're all aligned on this. Wow, this is beautiful. The stars. We both really like that movie. Yeah, we and agree. Also, speaking to what we said earlier, queer writer, queer director behind mm-hmm. the camera. Okay. Yeah. Like Cleo Duvall knows what she's doing. And I think it was insane that people were like, um, what is this? Like, let her do her thing. So many of the takes online or people being like, she should have ended up with Aubrey Plaza. She should have been single. Also, were from straight people. So it was like your take, I don't know, necessarily dictates into the queer experience. Here, but also here's the like, thing. here's the thing. There are two endings to that movie. Yeah. One is 
Mackenzie Davis and Kristen Stewart end up together. That's the one they went with. It is, I will be clear, it is unrealistic. Like, that is the unrealistic happy ending. The other yes. ending is they break up. There is no ending with Aubrey Plaza. It's just like, no. you, you can't force a happy ending onto a movie that has that structure that doesn't involve the happy ending that extends from the structure. People, yeah. have, Correct. people have forgotten how to watch Christmas movies and mm-hmm. it's driving me nuts. And like, I actually, you know what? I'm a, I'm a big fan of all bummers all the time. I would have been <laughs> fine if they'd broken up, yeah. but the happy ending as a queer person who was rejected by her family. Like I, I like it, you know, yeah. I think there's something sweet in being like, we're going to treat, we're going to take a lot of these farcical, very strange situations and treat them with a kind of emotional, realism that you maybe don't see in the genre and we're also going to have kind of the weird rom-com stuff that happens and then we're going to give it a super sappy rom-com ending yeah yeah and i think i think that's why people have such a disconnect because the movie treated a lot of this stuff with emotional seriousness and we are so used now to christmas movies that are just like oh gosh I'm mad that the bank repossessed on the farm and somebody's like, oh, but we can save it with a talent show. And like nobody actually. <laughs> White Christmas found dead. <laughs> nobody actually emotes. It's just like yeah. everything is like right here. Right. And like, I'm not going to sit here and say Happiest Season is the best film of all time. I am going to say it's in the top five though. Like <laughs> It wasn't on your 2010s. Oh wait, it came out. Did it come yeah, out just before? It's going to be number right, one. There, there on the I, I will say this last year at Vox, we were like, I was like, I think there's a lot of happiest season discourse and I should write a follow-up piece piece. Cause I wrote our review and I was like, this is like a, like a three star movie, three out of five, which I stand by is three, three and a half out of five. I'll say yeah. that. That's and ha- then there was exactly a lot of discourse have. and I was yeah. like, maybe I should write a follow-up piece. And we just never, Never did it and i think that now i am cursed to wander the land going on random podcasts and just talking about happiest season happy january everybody happy january honestly gotta make your voice heard it's amazing because we agree completely yeah. and i think that it's that snark in i think what you're talking about with like acting and everything i feel like has sort of like filtered into other movies as well where like the earnestness and seriousness has to constantly be undercut like any emotionality like you can't have a line without it cutting to something and someone being like whoa look at that or like just some dumb bit yeah so look the happy season is a movie that like makes use of genre conventions in a very good way and i think that people just thought like they often think about queer movies Mm. that like it was going to be something greater than because it had to be because it's capital i big movie important and like it's christmas movie and also genre conventions are good like here's the thing if you are judging this as like a lesbian romance it's not a great lesbian romance you know (laughs) it doesn't end with Mackenzie davis there's a painting of her and she's got her finger in a book and it's the page and then you go to the opera and you see her face and you zoom in on it would we watch that movie though violins are screaming (laughs) would we watch that movie uh nor is it you know um Mackenzie davis like showing up at the restaurant at the end and looking over and there's Kristen Stewart looking like it's not a titan of lesbian cinema. Oh, you're really making us go into really, our feels right a, now. It is a really good Christmas movie. Yeah. Yes. It's a really good, like it, within the genre, within that genre, it is a really good adaptation of that genre, the restrictions of that genre to a queer relationship. Now the question is, should we be fitting queer relationships into a genre that is inherently cis heteronormative? And this is one of the questions Cloud Atlas asks as well. But like <laughs> truly. Wachowski's direct to Christmas movie when. 
I like that, like, you know, there was like a half hour of this show and I was just eating dinner and I'm going hard about a completely no, different movie. This is this what is we love. literally why we yes. asked you to come. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is like, this is my curse. This is, I should have written the article. This is my curse. But yes. So I think that we are, you know, I think the problem is if you're going to make a queer Christmas movie, you should start from the point of view of like, we're going to tell a story about queer chosen family. We're going to tell a story about a polycule. We're going to tell a story about yeah. a structure that is inherent not the nuclear family because yeah. so much of queer life is not structured around the nuclear family on the other hand if you're going to get greenlit by a major studio as this movie was you basically have to do the same movie everybody else is doing and yep. within those narrow confines i think this is a very good example of the form i think Kristen stewart is incredible she wears she a is. suit at one point that's yes, so she does. a good suit there's a good suit Mackenzie davis you know she got a lot of guff i think she turns in a really good performance in this movie and she's Agreed. so tall she's, she's so, so tall tall i love so, her into bicky lesbian romance what, what i don't know what bobby fingers said in this space a few weeks before me <laughs> uh, i don't know who's listening to this right now but you probably heard bobby finger and you were like hmm, that sounds interesting and unless he completely agrees with me he's wrong and i hope you know that now <laughs> i love this so i hope everyone's excited for the inevitable episode where we make emily and bobby, bobby versus... fight to the yeah. death <laughs> you want to know the thing is a friend of mine uh samantha allen uh does the podcast um you should see the other guy which is this podcast that just talks about rom-coms from like the point of view of the person who gets left Obsessed. and they did they did a happiest season episode that was an hour and a half long and was just trashing the movie and i was like let me come on do a special edition and i purposefully talked for an hour and 31 minutes just to get just, in there yeah and like also i talked about it like but if you want to hear my overall thesis on queer storytelling and the film happiest season and also Christmas movies. And I talk about it's a wonderful life for like 20 minutes. Go find that episode of you should see the other guy. It's not their official happiest season episode. It's one where I just like, Demanded they let me That's come amazing. On and talk for an hour and a half. There's I have, nothing better. I have so many questions and comments, but I, the one thing I gotta know is what is your like go-to Christmas movie? Like, what are your top-tier echelon ones? Because I feel like that will inform so much of the view of how you feel about Christmas movies. I mean, I think you can't beat "It's a Wonderful Life." Like, yeah. "It's a yes. Wonderful Life" has a lot. Has a lot. You know, I mean, it's made by uh, white guys in the '40s, but it is so smart about mm-hmm. compromising on dreams and the ways that the holidays make us think about yes. all the lives we didn't get to lead. And that's the vibe I want from Christmas. My favorite Christmas TV special is Charlie Brown Christmas, which oh, like, yeah. you know, has, is Perfect. all about like, aren't we just kind of sad right now? Like that, yes. you know, yes. the, fucking, the fucking super happy. What are we doing? It's Merry Christmas. Everybody loves everybody. Like that's going to cry. But I just, there's no room to go there. I am writing, I should not admit this, but you know what? We're on the podcast. I'm writing a a Christmas romance, like like a novella that I'm going to publish under a pseudonym on Amazon.com because I'm I'm not, I'm trying to like not have it associated. Mm -hmm. It's not like, it's not like erotica. (laughs) Bring some fanfics. Yeah. I mean, well, would love to started, read. It started life as fanfic for my own podcast. So, um, 
As but most yeah. good things start as. Emily, you're writing, an icon. You're a legend. I'm but. writing it, and I'm just like, there's a lot of conflict in here. Are people going to want to read this? But like, I want to read a fucking story about a trans girl who goes home to her small town and falls in love at Christmas time. But if I'm going to do that, I have to deal with the fact that her small town is probably not Shit's Creek because yeah. like. I'm not that kind of writer. I can't do Shit's Creek. Also, Shit's yep. Creek is super overrated. That's the, that's the next hot take. We're just dropping in here. <laughs> I'm loving this. Um, like, yeah. so yeah, I I have I have to pull in. Like, you know, okay, yeah. so her parents don't really want to see her. All this stuff, but she's gonna fall in love and she's gonna kiss a boy and he's gonna be a trans boy and they're gonna have broken each other's hearts in high school. But then they transitioned and they're in the right. Fuck! Wait, I love Emily. This. I love this. What the fuck? Also, you're Can really I, like speaking to as, as Jordan just, as like sad boy extreme. You're like <laughs> all, the, everything you just checked off is like one. It's a wonderful life is my number one. Charlie is my number two. Jimmy Stewart's my number one. Like guy. Jordan I'm like, loves and Jimmy then, Stewart. A tortured romance breakup come together. I'm like Emily, are you trying to hurt me right now? Yeah, this is this is to make up. Ah! For, this is to make up for Yellow Jackets. Yes. Yeah. Yes. By yeah. the way, if we if we want to if we want to just even it out in terms of admitting things on Mike, I was not going to mention it earlier, but now I can. Is that Yellow Jacket season two is staffing and my manager submitted me and he was like, "Do you know about the show I just submitted you?" And I was like, "Why would you tell me? I'm never going to get on it." And that now wolf. I have to live with the knowledge that my sample is sitting in a pile of better samples oh in the God. Yellow Jackets writer's room. Um, it hurts. Love love writing. It's so fun. Um, I would kill to publish fanfic under an Amazon.com. Is pseudonym. there a way that we can like get that when it's ready? Well, we can we we'll figure know. it out. We'll we can figure it out. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll figure it out. I think there's <sighs> two things that I thought about during this important section that we just went on. Is one with the Wachowskis. Hey, do, look at that. Do we think that they should make a return to small budgets because like I think about Bound we were talking about Happy Season well Happy Season is a small budget whatever it's a very contained story like all of their stuff is exponentially big it's always big like Bound is really like the only small thing they've made yeah do we think when you were talking about the horror movie should they make a small horror movie like that like I would love to see their cannibal should, horror they movie they should make they should make the cannibal movie. right yeah yeah they should make the cannibal horror. Yeah. And I think like it's the, you know, I feel like with Sense8, they really showed like, you know, they're they're willing to do like a variety of different sort of like genres right. and like types Well, Lily's of... doing more like drama yeah, stuff. Yeah, like yeah. There, there's plenty of variety in terms of like what type of thing they want to do. I would, right. I always love to see like big directors work on a small scale because it always is imbued with that like sense of like importance mm. sort of, that sense of like, eventized like bound is the smallest movie ever but i feel like bound is an event you know what i mean yes, i don't know if that yes. makes sense it makes sense to me um if the I would Wach love to like if the wachowskis reunited and made like a blumhouse movie mm. you know it would be like the story of the year incidentally incidentally my wife and I just finished a screenplay for a super Shut trans horror movie. Shut up. Which we are working on with Jordan Cruciola. <gasps> Let's go. Let's Hello? get Lily. Let's get Lily. Let's get Lana. I don't know how to direct. I'm just going to put on speakerphone right now. I don't know how to direct. I know you're listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> you give me yeah. a call. Um, this, is the, this is what I need to see happen. <laughs> should I give out my real phone number? Yes. Uh, on air, live no, on air. I don't know. <laughs> we can uh, we can make sure it gets to the right people. Yeah. Because yeah. like sometimes. What if I gave out? You know, know, my parents were assholes. What if I gave out their phone number? <laughs> hey, hey. It's a win-win. Um, <laughs> it's 
Wild Tower, this horror movie just became my most anticipated film of the 2020. I mean, we'll 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 see. It's this is one of those things where my wife and I have this writing career, which I'm sure you can you can uh, uh, sympathize with this, where it's like a thing will get almost made, and then everyone will be like, you know what, this is about queer people, and we're like, yes, it is, and they're like, we don't want to do that anymore. Yep, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. it's fun, isn't it? Great being queer. Yeah, and it it's is. super fun when they like give you a different reason that they don't want to do it, where it's like you know that mm. it's a fake reason, and you're yes. like, I, you know. I know. Yeah. Our biggest, like the reason we have our career writing stuff at all is we wrote this, this, this spec pilot five years ago against the advice of my representation at that time. And we dumped them because they all, that guy was also like, don't make Arden and like Arden and this thing are the two things that have gotten me Uh, as far as I know. And, um, it's about, um, uh, it's about, it's, it's based on my high school best friend. It's about a, um, queer Korean adoptee. Uh, 13 year old living in South Dakota in the 90s uh, growing up religious fundamentalist and she falls in love with the new pastor's daughter and like it is <gasps> um, yes 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 it, it, it has almost been made like 10 times now and then it gets to like the top level and somebody's like this has 10 things we don't make television shows about <laughs> What the good? time is changing though what we need to prestige? see this it's TV a lot of there's so much queer baiting happening right now on this podcast of things i want to read things i yes. need to see it's very overwhelming i'm listen, feeling very bisexual listen. right now the thing is the thing is i can this fucking holiday thing for i can just put on amazon and like i'm gonna i'm gonna make another season of arden and i'm gonna i'm working on i'm revising a novel like i'm i'm gonna get my stuff out there it's just like uh, the stuff I'm really passionate about. So often people are like, you know what? This sounds great. And then it just goes. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. I do think to bring it back, it's that like, it's so exciting when you see really large scale art being made by very prominent queer people. And especially like, you know, we talked about a little talked about it a little bit on the matrix episode last week but like the wachowskis are far and away like the most visible like trans filmmakers that we have and like i think that you know we are a very tiny podcast like but the more what do you mean the more that we wait we're fighting marin next week you don't know this (laughs) lock the gates the the more that we as droplets in an ocean can do to like uh, try and like uplift this kind of stuff and show that like the art that queer people are making as a whole is actively mm-hmm. changing lives, is doing these incredible, incredible things. And like, we want more of that. We want to be able to foster this next generation. We want the art to like yes. move down, move through all these different eras. And like the only way that that happens is if you let people make it, if you let queer people make the queer art that they want to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like in the minuscule way that we can, we do Drop what we can ocean. to just like, proclaim that as much yeah. as possible if anyone important is listening this 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 we is have a, a sign. lot of stuff this is a comet birthmark for you i love Do it what you will. listen if you if you listening to this podcast i'm just gonna I know that we have to rank and shit. I'm just going to plug stuff now, I guess. Plug it. Do it. We're honestly no, actually, here. This is, this, is, this is a sincere plug. If you like queer storytelling, I think you will like my show Arden. Um, two seasons of it exist. It is a show about uh, two women who um, solve cold cases and try not to fall in love. It is our attempt to Perfect. do the will they, won't they uh, crime solving thing, but uh, in a queer space um and uh it's also like there's there's a there's a lot of tonal tonal shifts that i think are fun 
Um, and uh, season one is based on Romeo and Juliet, and season two is based on Hamlet. So uh, hot. There's like five. It's this is the problem with me. I'm always like, so this show's about fifty things. <laughs> oh, I have the exact same problem, and yes. I would say the Wachowskis actually have that problem too. And you are now pushing my exact buttons when it comes to Shakespeare and cold cases and women trying not to fall in love women. while doing their jobs. Yeah, so, it's like yeah. we had a we had a eight series regulars in season two, and only one of them was a man. <laughs> so you love to hear it. Yeah. You really do love to hear it. That's that's more what we need. Honestly, it all ties up really well. We're here anyway. Yeah. I think we did a as good of a job as we could talking we about tried this. To, we climbed into the clouds. Extremely expansive movie. Yes. Um, it fucking rocks. I think we can all agree. Yes. I now, think that we we borrowed the structure of the film for our yeah. discussion because we just so. cross cut between a bunch of things. <laughs> but right. we brought it back. The arcs connected. <laughs> the center is a post-apocalyptic rant about happiest season. <laughs> yes. It's so good though. And then we go back up through the nesting dolls like we made it happen. I was so nervous you were about to be like. Happy season sucks. And I would have been like, we were gonna be oh, like, no. okay, well. that was a hot take. The hot take is that Christmas is a joyful time. And it's also a good time for people to fight about their relationship and then fight for their relationship. Yes. That yeah. is the thing. Stories, stories you got to fight for it. Sometimes mm-hmm. you got to go out and you got to say, I love you and I'm sorry. And I fucked up and I'm going to fix it. Ah. And that's the thing that should be home. Catch fire is a great show. Great show. <laughs> great <laughs> show but but i'm gonna i'm gonna draw the line also though mackenzie davis always looking like a little bit gay and like always always the i promise this is gonna be a 30 second terminator mackenzie davis what is she doing are you kidding me arms oh my god okay this is gonna be like 30 seconds but there was speaking of like handshakes through arrows there was a really great list of like actresses that have like you know played queer characters in more than one movie and like how you can basically make like a giant ladder of like actresses kissing other actresses and it just like goes down like Kristen Stewart made out with Mackenzie Davis who made out with Gugu Mbatha-Raw who made out with Gemma Arterton who made out with like it like just like keeps made out with Elizabeth Debicki like it keeps going it's amazing um kind of made my brain explode made me really happy at the same time um that I have, I have no point. I just wanted no, to, just wanted to I, say that. We, yeah. So while we're on the subject of tall women's sexuality. Yes, yes. Are you a Kaler truther? Oh my God. Wow. How? Wow. You just put a key know? into Pandora's box. I was trying to figure out if there was a good opportunity to bring up Taylor Swift on this Jesus. episode where I was like. <laughs> you can always bring up Taylor Swift with me. The arc. Have you the, read my Twitter feed? Yeah. Oh, well, yes. 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 Um. Okay. So listen, there's a lot of Kaler levels. I'm not going to get into them. I do remember someone one time edited the Carol poster to be a Kaler poster. It was really special. Um. All time. I'm not going to say they were a couple because I can't say that. I'm a journalist. It's irresponsible. Allegedly. I am saying that if you, as an appreciator of art, were to listen to the album Folklore and imagine that it is about this great lost love of Taylor Swift's life, who is Carly Kloss, there's a lot of layers there. It's really rich. It's really rewarding. Mm -hmm. And that's just like, that is like a fanfic you are applying to an album by yourself. It doesn't mean it happened. It probably didn't happen. For all we know, it didn't happen. It probably didn't happen. However, but guess what? But if you listen to the album, it did. Um, you can find the fanfic on squarespace.com. Let's Use see. promo code Carly Kloss. 
Carly Kloss's middle name is Elizabeth, and Taylor Swift was named after James Taylor, and the song Betty is about Betty and James falling in love, and also they're gay. Um, oh, my God. So, oh, it's, it goes deep. it yeah. goes so deep. There's also one of my favorite books, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, people believe is Taylor fanfic that has been reappropriated because it uses a lot of Taylor Swift lyrics That's in amazing. very interesting ways. Uh, I would it's a whole other podcast. The um, uh, the, sh- the songwriter for Arden Season 2, because we had a... So Arden Season 2 is an adaptation of Hamlet where all of the soliloquies are our version of hamlet is a girl who's a singer songwriter so all of the soliloquies are songs that she sings at her open mics um and the song like i was so skeptical of this and then the songs are fucking great um but our songwriter i just was like joking around with her about how i want to run a write uh, a musical podcast about a pop star who falls in love with a model and she was like i'll do that i'll write all the songs and i was like "Mm, we'd get sued (laughs) actually we wouldn't we'd make it fictional I mean, also, Anything if she musical, sues though? you, isn't she confirming Oh. <laughs> so... This is your galaxy brain way of getting the answer. Yeah. If I if I ever <laughs> had to do one of those nights when a bunch of friends get together and make PowerPoints, I would truly rank the gayest Taylor Swift songs because, like, there's so much evidence. I mean, we should Brooke, say... Brooke, 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 do this and invite me. I yeah. don't... I'm oh. not going to make a PowerPoint. I'm just going to watch yours. Well, you, you're the judge. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you can determine if my ranking is incorrect or correct. Brooke has completely... I think we should say, like, from the... How long have we known each other? What? Five years? Six years? Seven years? Six years. A long time. I started out not as a Taylor Swift fan, and the arc that my life has taken to the point of where Brooke has now entered my car and I'll be listening to Taylor Swift mm-hmm. is really something and i feel like i just should say it on mic publicly like thank you, you your impact i'm i'm a powerful life. i'm a powerful woman and also i never shut up about her so taylor swift is the reason i'm out like that's let's just be honest like i am i am i am a trans woman because taylor swift came into my life and said emily you are a trans woman it that was a lyric her, in a song but yeah, <laughs> i remember <it> was. that <laughs> <laughs> it's on one of the it's on one of the bonus tracks off uh, it's, the 10 minute. <laughs> it's coming it's coming to Emily, the public you are a trans woman taylor's version from the vault from the vault <laughs> 10 minute version recorded at long pond studios um oh, I, yes boy. look i mean you want to talk about having an impact on people's life that's why so many of my friends are my friends um it's she she her transcends influence. generations her influence okay Yes, Cloud what's Atlas. Your, what's, your, what's your longest episode? Uh, Almost three hours. Three hours. Oh, well, we're not going to get there. Okay. You know what? I was like, actually, my wife would kill me. We're supposed to watch <laughs> Succession episode eight tonight. But I was like, we could do it. We could, we oh, could get there. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I mean, Ooh. we'll make it. We'll make it happen. I will say, we never. It's only been one episode, and we never yeah. expected it to be three hours. Um, it was, it was with Patrick Willems. He was basically. We were talking he, about heat, and it was basically the same thing. We're like halfway through. We're like, okay, we're gonna pause on heat. Tangent time. We'll come back to heat. And then it just ended up being a three-hour episode. Yeah. Um, you know, I he, always am trying to push us longer, though. And I I'm always love... trying to keep us at a reasonable length. That's a good relationship. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Patrick no. did say though that he derails every podcast he goes on. So it listen, felt listen, yeah. no, no, no. I'm I'm now the devil on your shoulder. Bro. <laughs> I'm gonna the Georgie, in. old Georgie. I'm gonna come in every few months and just like just like 
have, talk about some random thing that inevitably you're also going to be obsessed with. So. Yeah. See, it's like, I feel like we're on the same wavelength, which is really the most important yes. because then it's like, would you say, you, what, what uh, would you say, sorry, would you say that like we're like all cloud length or, souls yeah, connected? Yeah, Wachowski thing, yeah. We are all really uh, part of the same yeah. human mm-hmm. experience. Yeah, I would say so. So yeah, there is there is the thing where uh, in, in the movie, you know, there is the 2021 scene that's just us recording a podcast together and then our souls are doing other things in other yes, yeah. yes and you know it was so it was maybe ahead too ahead of its time for it certain was, people yeah. um yeah. but it was bullet time weirdly <laughs> so it was like a four hour time anywho um, did you know that bullet time was invented for a gap commercial yes which is wild it's wild i was i was i was looking that up today so it yes. blows my mind. Also, how far the gap has fallen. I feel like I was, well, I was sorry. Jordan, no. You know what? <laughs> no. We? I was back home and the, the local gap had closed and it was so wild because we used to go there all the time as kids, like the gap sweatshirts. Okay. I what's the, what's the letterbox? How much money did this make? Okay. We're, I obviously love the gap. The gap is yeah. great. Um, shop at the We could gap. honestly talk about the gap and the influence in the queer community and how so many kids and people would make fun of gap because they would say it was gay and proud and how that was like a bad thing if you wore that. I wore Espe- that gap sweatshirt. Oh, I did you know too. It. Maybe that's why I'm queer. Okay. Let's talk Sorry. about the Cloud Alice box office. Um, I regret to inform you that this movie did not make its budget back. In fact, it did very poorly. This movie's budget was over $100 million, all raised independently, a lot of it with the help of the German government. Don't know what that's about. Um, And domestically, it made $27 million. And worldwide, it made 130 So it didn't even really make back its budget when you no. factor in, like, P&A and marketing and everything. Like, ouch. Ouch. You know what? You know what? I bet it sold a whole bunch of DVDs. Yeah. You know? Probably. And it's sure. like... It's it stayed it stayed culturally relevant, mm-hmm. which yes. is more than you can say for a lot of movies yeah. that made a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, so many people on Twitter will constantly do like the, a Cloud Atlas tweet, like every once in a while, or someone will just tweet to remind the us all. Yeah, that it's is important. great. It did. An old Georgie will pop up. It did make an okay showing. It did open what number two under Argo. Fuck yourself. Argo. Fuck yourself. Uh, famous Best Picture winner of that year should have been reversed. If mm. you ask. Well, Cloud me. Atlas not winning even for score infuriates it's, me. it's deeply upsetting yeah, yeah. um and it opened it didn't open you know it it could have opened wider it only opened in 2k screens but this thing opened october 26th and it was gone by middle of january like Woof. just absolutely versus the demolished. matrix run that we've talked about where the matrix opens and it plays for like 11 for, uh, months yeah a yeah. year it's crazy yeah. um but that's okay we love the wachowskis the wachowskis don't know we exist but if they did i think that they would love us they so. listen to this episode because they're oh, gonna, yeah. like yeah like, they're gonna we're gonna lana and lily come on the pod lana and lily come on you know what i've been chasing a lana wachowski interview for most of this year and i know i'm not gonna get it this is what i'm this is we're the putting thing. the energy that you will get it though yeah but yeah, so um, they're so press-averse, but yeah. I bet they would do this podcast. <laughs> that would rule. Hey, we know Lily's what on Twitter. What movie they would pick? <laughs> I mean, that would honestly be so fascinating. Such an interesting thought We send experiment. them a list and they're just like, hmm. It is wild to see directors on Twitter because I'm like, technically I could interact with you, but you like make art yeah. and I talk into a mic for two hours. Right. Crazy. Yeah. Um, Anyways. Anyway, not that podcasting isn't art, it obviously is. Mm. Um, but 
not at this particular moment. Um, Jordan. Yes. And Emily, you are welcome to put in a guess if you would like to. Do you want to guess the average letterbox rating? Ooh, ah, uh, yeah, I do. Um, always fascinating. Talk about an interesting thought experiment. I was gonna say this one probably has like mixed letterbox reviews. I'm gonna go with like a three. Seven. A three point seven. Ooh, that feels high. Three six. Three six. I'm gonna go down to a three six. All right, I'm Emily. Gonna, I'm I'm gonna say it is a uh, solid three. Okay, guys, split the difference. It's a three point four. Ooh. So could it be higher? Could be lower? But I will say most people give this three to four stars with a very healthy dose of four and a half and fives. Letterbox actually likes this movie more than I would have expected. Guilty as charged. Uh, I was like, there's enough like. Yeah. Letterbox people out there. This is probably is yeah. not going to be as low as you'd expect. I'm going to see what it is on IMDb. That's it's that's so interesting cuz like there there's sometimes like wildly wildly differential things. And the the idea is that like there's a very large vocal sector of like queer people on Letterbox and right. it's like the sort of more internet-y in the know type uh sample size so that's what we like to pull from because i feel like it it reflects what people like of now if we did the imdb it would be the imdb ratings just 7.4 so it's not that bad okay that's pretty good honestly you could see this like in the six range if people like this is this is a thing like i always think the reviews for this movie were terrible it had its champions it's always been divisive and that's what this movie should be it should be divisive just like Hulu's Happiest Season and Showtime's Yellow Jackets. And Showtime's and Yellow Jackets. All the other things we've talked and about. And Taylor Swift. Conspiracy theories. Um, I'm just saying they were so in love and, and we can't talk about it. We're supposed to pretend it didn't happen. Joe Biden will cancel it <laughs> if you say it. And it's like in Joe's America. If I know places isn't about Carly Kloss, then who is it about? You have to wonder. Um, <laughs> oh God, we'll have to. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna have a, a whole sidebar. Anyway, where's it landed on the queer quadrant for you? Yeah. So this, I was trying. I was try- kind of thinking about where I want to put this, mm. and I think that we had honestly like a really lovely conversation that made me think more about sort of like the the pervasive queer themes that are like moving through yeah. all of it and sort of like how it feels in general. Um, you do have Ben, you know, smooching. Oh, it's great smooch. And then he steals a waistcoat, which as we know, one of the queerest things you can do is take each other's I, clothes. The goddamn thing where he's like, I wanted to bring a piece of you to remind me of you or whatever and it's like oh i'm gonna fucking die yeah love stealing clothes is great i think that i think that given sort of like the textual aspects as well as sort of like the really really strong thematics and the fun conventions that are being Mm -hmm. done like gender swapping i'm gonna give it overall Mm -hmm. four Mm -hmm. and a half stars yeah okay i Uh, feel like that's high but it it just it, it features we also didn't litigate this if he's bi or gay but we can do it's that on a to, different it's podcast. However, how you feel in your heart. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, he's queer and that's what's important. I agree. Jordan, how are you feeling? I agree. I think that it's a four and a half. I think wow, that, hey, I mean, whoa, yeah. okay. I don't know. I don't have much more to say. I think we litigated it. I agree. Watching it this time, I just like felt so much of like the queer oppression and all the themes, like, as you were saying, like pulsating throughout this thing. And I don't know. Great. I don't fucking know. Four and a half. I love it. <laughs> I Emily, yeah. how are you feeling? Five. Boom. Five. Five. Love it. I love it. 
happy season three and a half. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. We'll have to see. We'll have to see how where uh, Bobby yeah. lands it. Uh, what if, Bo- uh, if Bobby yeah, gives yellow, it? Yellow Jacket's four and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Swift and Carly Kloss's Unspoken of Love. Six. <laughs> Ten. <Ooh>. Six. <laughs> Off the fucking charts because it's yeah. so forbidden that it just makes it that much more It's going to be like Portrait of a Lady Joe on Fire. Joe Biden doesn't want you to know about it. <laughs> The Joe Biden Taylor conspiracy. What if like what if Taylor releases an album and she has like one finger showing one thing and it's in a like, page? Yeah, and it mm. like leads to a Carly Kloss website. I'm talking. Listen, you, know. you don't. Taylor Swift, re- reveal your former uh, queer love affair via an <laughs> ARG modeled on Portrait of a Lady on Fire, please. Please, I'm my children you. are starving. <laughs> Listen, there was one music video where she was wearing a blue, purple, and pink wig, and people were like, this is it. This is her coming out. And I was like, we all need to seek help. Counseling. Um, She's going to come out when it is most, if she is indeed bi, which, you know, who knows? Who knows? Um, She is going to come out when it is most advantageous to her, and she will be like, I kissed three girls. I mostly liked it. I'm what's called femme for femme. And then we'll be all like, okay, great. Uh, yeah. I look forward to that day. Hopefully I will dream in about life it. Or yeah. in a reincarnation. Yeah. Who knows? One day in 2144. It'll take her that long to <laughs> come to be, terms with it. That'll, that's the drop in the ocean <laughs> that causes a ripple, that Taylor causes Swift a revolution. Queer ocean. Yeah. That's um, what causes the fall. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Forget the rad levels. Oh my god! Uh, instant worldwide yeah. war. Anyways, oh my god! Wow. Listen, this movie rocks. I'm Go so watch it. glad we got to talk about it. Um, it's definitely an endeavor, but yes. an endeavor that is totally worthwhile. And I would say we are so so lucky to have Emily here to talk about it. Agreed. Thank you. You're the best. I hope that if you're out there listening, Bobby Finger. <laughs> I hope you feel appropriately ashamed. Unless you agreed with me, in which case, let's have drinks. If Bobby goes higher or lower than three and a half, like, does he have to go higher than you or lower than you or exactly like you Only for a fight to, to occur? Exact, exact, he has yeah. to be exactly like me for there to be no fight. If he's higher, then I will retire from criticism and shame. <laughs> But if he's lower, we're fighting. There's a fight. It's going to happen. Know. See, it's crazy because everyone is li- everyone that's listening is going to know exactly how yep, this played yep. out. But but we don't. we don't. Same with the Matrix Resurrections. We're like, I wonder how oh! that movie that we've been waiting for that I cried to the trailer is yeah. going to be. We do this, Who knows? We do this too often where we like record things very out of order. Yeah. And then we, yeah. We predicted Tom Holland and Zendaya getting together on one episode. That was crazy. I'm sorry. We're not talking. Well, we need to wrap it up. We do. We do. I would like to say I had my Ariana wicked fucking thing the week or like the day before that yeah. got announced yeah and yeah. i mean the tom holland's on day thing was like a week before it actually happened anyway great should um, we call the taylor thing next week taylor swift no, will be coming out as bye don't give me hope um emily i'm so so lucky to have you here you're the best if yes. people want to hear and see more of your work where should they find you I'm all over the internet. (laughs) Taylor Swift, if you wanted to go on a date, I would say yes. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that right now. Just letting you know. Taylor Swift, come on the pod. You know? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just picturing it and... uh... (laughs) Would you not be able to do it? No, I could do it. I had a therapist, so I had a therapist a while back, and I just sort of jokingly said to her that my goal in life was to be Taylor Swift's best friend. 
And I expected her to be like, you can't, that's not going to happen. And instead she was like, I knew this guy in college and all he wanted to do was be Grace Slick's best friend. And we all made fun of him. And then I saw him a few years ago and now he's Grace Slick's best friend. So you never know. And I was like, that's not the thing you should have told me. <laughs> Giving you the hope. power of manifesting. You got this. I got this. I got this. this. You can find me on the internet, Taylor Swift, at uh, (laughs) twitter.com slash EmilyVDW. I am also on Instagram at EmilyNicoleVDW. My writing appears at Vox. Um, I am also, I have a newsletter at EmilyVDW.letterdrop.com where I publish truly unhinged nonsense all the time. It's great. There's a recurring (laughs) feature in which I uh, write pieces that are supposedly blog posts by the cis version of myself who's a recipe blogger in another universe where marianne williamson is president and you know it's 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 my i just have too much going on emily's the the best uh and you can find arden wherever podcasts are sold i'm really proud of it i'd really love if you'd listen to it and if you like queer art i think you'll like our show i really do um if you like ladies kissing i know you'll like our show Hey. Um, yeah. and i might have published a self-published romance i guess you'll find out it's under a pseudonym but see if you can find it it's, Ooh, it's a little it's, louisa it's may it's a little louisa ray mystery yeah. for yeah. you oh you know? very nice very wow. nice um if you like ladies kissing and queer art you should talk to me immediately <laughs> because we have lots to talk about um and you can also find us floating yes. around on Twitter. Unfortunately. I'm a Brooke B. Solomon. Jordan H. Gus. And we're together at Queer Quadrant. And this podcast is also available wherever podcasts are sold. Spotify, sold? Apple, wherever you want. That's what Emily said. I'm, I'm jumping no, on the bandwagon. Pay it. us money. I know. No, drop us a rate. Oof. Drop us a review. Drop us a follow. Subscribe. Subscribe. Let us know um, what you think about this movie. Tweet at us. Tell us what do you think your about happiest favorite. Season? Yeah, you, you talk about us. <laughs> Tweeted us about Yellow Jackets. Tweeted us about Taylor Swift. So tweeted much. us about Jimmy Stewart and it's a wonderful oh, life for you. Jimmy Stewart. Um, and yeah, let us know what you would like to see us cover in the future. Next week, what are we covering? Uh, we're chugging along through Wachowski's month. Like I said, next week is the camp classic. We're ascending. Jupiter ascending. Oh boy. Um, bark, bark. Have no idea what that episode is going to be like. I will, Oh, all I can tell you is that I will be doing a lot of Eddie Redmayne impressions. You have fun with that. Can't wait to hear it. I uh, I tweeted, how do you feel about old Georgie from Cloud Atlas like t- 10 minutes ago? And like nobody likes him. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Well, all those people have no taste. Oh, we're and canceling everybody. <laughs> they're not allowed to listen to this episode. And Wait, no, they're allowed to listen. <laughs> we'll take the listens. We need the listens. Um, well, we like him. I think he's yeah. an icon. I think so too. Yeah. We have to stand. Yeah. We do in fact have to stand. Anyway, um, tune in next week for... Jupiter ascending. Have fun on the planets with us. All right, Jordan. Anything you want to leave the listeners with? Just remember that our lives are not our own. From womb to tomb, we are bound to others, past and present, and by each crime and every kindness, we birth our future. Thank you so much.